One, and we're live. You're tuning into Cosmic Children. I'm your host, Kevin. And today I have Sanka in the studio with me. So I got to know him from, it was a recommendation from a previous guest of mine, Sean, uh, SG Beetlenut. And the only thing he told me about you prior to this was that you are a reptile and amphibian enthusiast. Mm-hmm. So Sanka, could you please introduce yourself and the affiliation you have with the Singapore Herpetological Society? Please mm. go on. Sure. Yeah. Uh, my name is Sankar. I am co-founder, a co-founder and the president of the Herpetological Society of Singapore. Yes. So herpetology is the study of reptiles and amphibians. Mm-hmm. Um, these are usually animals that people are kind of, I think, I think people usually regard them with some, some level disdain. of disdain. Disdain. Yeah. That's a good word. Yeah. yeah. I was going to go for disgust, but disga- <laughs> disdain, disdain is better. Disdain is like two levels down from disgust. Yeah. But it sounds kind of complex, but yeah. it's really kind of similar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so uh, it's, it's herpetology because that is a word that I've never encountered prior mm-hmm. to, to, uh, doing, doing research for this. So is it just primarily the study of reptiles and amphibians or is there anything more to that? No, it's entirely, it's entirely just the study of reptiles and amphibians. Could, could you break down what the study and research mean though? Um, okay. Well, so I can kind of go into like the etymology, but etymology, okay. herpetology. <laughs> you can go into the etymology. The meaning of the word herpetology. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, herpetology is derived from the Greek word herpeton. Yep. Um, which means to creep. Um, so reptiles and amphibians aren't actually that closely related to each other. They are actually very distinct groups okay. of animals. But because they have very similar ecology, they have very similar habits where, you know, they like people long, long ago, they saw, you know, reptiles and amphibians kind of occur in the same kind of habitat. Yep. They kind of have similar behaviors. Mm. So they start studying them together. Yep. So herpetology is, is, is kind of, um, it's kind of like a Frankenstein of, of, of a field where everything is just kind of thrown together out yep. of parts that aren't really supposed to be together. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so that's, that's where the term herpetology comes from. Uh, generally, amphibians refers to your, um, your frogs, your salamanders and your Sicilians. What's a Sicilian? Yeah, so most people have heard of frogs and salamanders. Yes. Like a salamander <laughs> just kind of looks like a stretched out frog. Yeah, <laughs> like a tadpole, really. <laughs> yeah. So a Sicilian actually is a very interesting group of amphibians, which actually looks more like a snake or a worm than a frog. A sea snake? No, no, it's okay. not a sea snake. It's, it's an amphibian. So it's mm. more closely related to frogs than it is to snakes and mm. worms, but it has no legs whatsoever. Is there a key defining feature that separates... Uh, a specific creature from an amphibian and from a reptile and from a snake. Yeah. So, I mean, evolutionarily, of course, they, they do fall into these categories separately, but um, morphologically in terms of like what they look like, their physiology, um, amphibians tend to have permeable skin, semi-permeable okay. skin. So they, you know, they have to stay as close as possible to water at all yep. times. Usually, I mean... Usually they have like a, a, a larval phase as well. So their young will look like tadpoles or mm. like they have gills and stuff like that. And usually it's aquatic. Uh, this, this isn't like universally the case, but you, you, you do have like majority of them. M- many of them have okay. like, um, you know, aquatic phases, Sicilians especially. So, so Sicilian, um, juveniles are always like very, um, the, the larvae of, of Sicilians are, are very, uh, aquatic so yeah. they love living near water whereas your adult sicilians which are very rare by the way you don't ever see sicilians and i've never seen a wild sicilian before why why are they rare though 
I, I don't know if it's because they're rare or because they're elusive. Oh. Um, because they have they live under leaf litter, so it and 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 usually near very like pristine forest types that we don't have a lot of in Singapore anymore. Yep. So seeing a Sicilian is kind of a big deal. Yeah, and seeing a Sicilian is kind of a big. It deal. is. It really is. Yeah. Um, many people. It's at least in this part of the world. Uh, unless you're actively studying Sicilians, it's quite common to not come across Sicilians. Interesting. So which is why, like most people, don't think of Sicilians when they think of yeah. amphibians because, like, it's it's uh, such an obscure group. I would imagine the the first law would really just be frogs, and it would just kind of end there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. So that's amphibians. Yep. Um, you also have reptiles. Reptiles are a completely different group. Uh, and they're kind of... Uh, reptiles in themselves, the term reptiles is also kind of um, controversial. Just because like it... it uh, some people will argue that I mean, I mean, it, it's, gen- it's generally accepted that reptiles don't... Act, it's not an actual taxonomic group. Mm. Right? So you have your... Um, you have snakes, you have your lizards, mm-hmm. um, you have crocodiles, yep. you have turtles, and you have uh, tuatara. What's that? So tuatara is like this very basal reptile that can only be found in New Zealand. What does basal mean? So um, evolutionarily speaking, yeah, uh, it is very primitive. So it's it's kind of um, it's it's a sister group mm. to snakes and lizards. So do they look the same? They kind of look like lizards. But so they have legs. They have legs. Okay. They look like lizards. Yeah. Uh, but they're not lizards. Okay. So <laughs> this is this is something to get really confusing. But but, but I love it because yeah. from from a conversation with Sean previously, um, you you mentioned that there is a lot of like uh debates and arguments as to what might be considered a reptile. Yeah. Considered is 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 that common within the 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 school uh, or, or, or the spheres that, that you associate with? Is there a lot of like, uh, hey, this belongs to this, but someone would say because of some because something that's lacking, it actually doesn't belong to this and you guys do your own research to prove something? Is, is that what it is? Yeah, I mean, that's the whole that's the whole realm of taxonomy where you're like, you're just kind of figuring out where to draw the lines of mm. like what what goes where, you know, how did, how did all these different characteristics, how did so much diversity kind of arise out of, you know, simplicity mm. in itself. Like, why, why, why do you think it's important to to know where to draw the line? What benefit does it serve to 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 be able to classify uh, this as this particular species, but not uh, bridging into another type of species? I, I think it's kind of like it, it's a bit of a pure science. Where pure science? Yeah, like you're 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 pursuing it for its own sake for knowledge's own sake you know? okay like like when you when you discover like a, a distant star yeah right you're like that's a cool star <laughs> yeah. it's, it's good to know it, it doesn't it doesn't impact me i could live my entire life and mm. i i am gonna live my entire life without knowing without what that touching star. setting yeah. food on it yeah exactly so it it has no meaningful impact to my life but it can it is it is interesting in and of itself and i think that's something that's really beautiful about science where I don't like the idea of capitalizing on science where you need to have some kind of material gain or benefit mm. to learn about something. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes learning about something for its own sake is beautiful. Mm. Um, and I think taxonomy falls very nicely inside there where it's like, there's no, there's no material benefit to it. Uh, if you really, if you really think about it, you could argue that taxonomy, uh, like understanding how, all these relationships fall yep. into place, kind of helps you um, figure out, you know, what are more 
evolutionarily unique group. So yeah. say, for example, your Tuatara that I mentioned yeah. just now, right, is evolutionarily very unique. Because? Because there's literally nothing else like it. It is a sister group. It is it is a sister group to snakes and lizards. So does the, the, does the chain end there? Because are there descendants for this particular type of species or... No, there's there's only one species of Tuatara. Oh, and and that's it. So once that one species of Tuatara goes extinct, yep. that entire lineage goes extinct. Wow. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. So 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 losing that one species would mean a lot more than say losing like uh, one species of snake, for example, mm. right? Because if I lose one species of snake, I still have so many other snake species and so many other lizard species. Yep. But if I lose the Tuatara, that's it. There's no more Tuataras. That entire branch of that tree just falls off. Fascinating. Yeah. Let's let's go back to the society for a bit. Um, sure. So would whatever you just mentioned, would that constitute the study and research part that, that you said previously? Like you, for example, what I, because it's a new word, it's yeah. it's something so this herpetological society is a new concept for me. What do y'all do exactly? Okay. Do y'all meet together? Do y'all talk species i don't know <laughs> well so what happens please paint, paint paint me a picture we do do that sometimes like casually we like meet up and just talk about like you know latest findings in herpetology latest and findings and yeah like like gl- globally globally or regionally locally okay yeah um but for the most part the hss is a outreach group what what do you mean by that? So, uh, like I said, reptiles and amphibians, generally people treat them with some level of disdain. Yeah. Um, our mission is to kind of change that where we want Singaporeans or, or rather the people of Singapore, not just Singaporeans, people of Singapore to kind of, uh, we, we want to normalize the fact that reptiles and amphibians live amongst us. Mm. Um, that it's it's normal to have, you know, say a python in the drain. That's normal. That is normal. Um, there is probably a python. Please change somewhere my mind during this episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is normal. Okay. <laughs> I, I can understand that conceptually, but I guess there is a bit of a jarring effect. Yeah. To 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 see a python of whatever size in in an urban area like that, because I guess I wouldn't even think of disdain when when I see something. It's just so unfortunately out of place because you don't see it often mm-hmm. and you shouldn't see it often I, I feel yeah but when you see something like that in a in, in in a drain i think it's i think it activates something uh would i say primal, primal. yeah yeah i would say primal really i think i think they're really especially in singapore's context that's very interesting because like um singaporeans singapore in itself is actually like, like you know, if you go, if you wind the clock back like 200 years, like 18, 19, 1800s, yep. Singapore is incredibly biodiverse. We're right in the center of this regional hotspot for biodiversity. Okay. If you, like, if you came here 200 years ago, it wouldn't be weird to see a python here. Okay. <laughs> like, I would imagine you would see a lot more than just a python. You would but- see so much more <laughs> yeah. than just pythons. But but yeah. to see a python would be like, okay, that's normal. Like the, the people living in kampongs yep. here, that would have been they like- They have to deal with it. They have to deal with it. Yeah. That's just part of life. Yeah. But uh, with urbanization, right? After 200 years of just rapid urbanization, yeah. ecological simplification, all the landscape is now cityscape. Yes. Suddenly- so- people of Singapore are kind of removed from that reality. Yep. We, we kind of construct this own reality for ourselves where yep. we say, this is a human habitat, mm. right? Anything else here is an interloper. It's, a, it's an invader into this habitat. And we treat it accordingly. Mm. You see a python in the drain, you call pest control. Yep. Because we treat it as a pest. Yeah. Um, 
But the truth is, the Python has always been there. Mm. We just came along, changed the landscape, and suddenly our perception of it has changed. And and so we construct this like mental reality for ourselves where that, you know, Pythons are not supposed to be here. But when we are confronted with that reality, when the Python actually shows up, you know, in the drain in front of us, suddenly we're like, we're afraid. Yeah. Or we're, or we're angry, yeah. you know? And angry, yeah. Th- there that, are that, is re- that, that is a really interesting reaction, yeah. I mean, think about it because Pythons do, for example, eat neighborhood yes. cats. Yeah. Right, so that's that's the actual like conflict that does happen. So anger isn't like I think an invalid emotion to express. Um, there, there's certainly like uh, I think if someone did feel anger, I wouldn't like you know dismiss that as nothing because that is something. It does come from somewhere. It's like a real feeling. Um, it's more of why are we feeling that feeling? W- where does that come from, and how can we address that? You know, as a educated society. Yeah, yeah. So. Are these certain biases that uh, HSS tries to tries to change, like the public? But try it tries to move the needle on the the, the perception of these uh, uh, reptiles and, and amphibians. Okay, yeah. So like away from like pests and you know uh, anomalies yeah. to you know how 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 would you think about like say if you saw an otter just running across the road here. I might have taken a video once of, uh, I was walking back from, I think, Tundra Cardo, and mm. I think there was this canal there. Yeah. And I saw like a group of otters like just swimming past and I thought that was pretty adorable. Yeah. And have you seen the videos of that at Plaza Singh? Like, <laughs> gang it's fighting? Really cute. It's really, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we kind of construct like this whole narrative around them. We have like otter watching groups. Yeah. There's people otter following the otters. Group. Oh my God. Um, you, know, the, you know, like mothership covers, like yeah. the, the family drama but that happens. If it, if it is, if, if it was a bunch of snakes. No way, nothing. It's, yeah, that's yeah. true. You'll get a lot of public outcry. Exactly. It would be like, why are the authorities not, you know, managing mm. this problem? Why are we not culling? Culling. Or why these snakes belong in the zoo? Mm-hmm. Um, all these, all these narratives come up, but, the snakes are just as native to Singapore as the otters. In fact, probably more so because the otters kind of returned from Malaysia. Mm. Uh, not that they have no right to be here. I, I love the otters. So uh, even within the animal kingdom, yeah, there are there is a weird hierarchy that we create that we place perhaps a higher value on certain animals, certain creatures, but for others that might not unfortunately look the part or they might have or we might have read stories or heard stories really about how terrible they are. We place them on a slightly lower scale. Yeah. 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 So um, how, how, how does the HSS try to change it? You say outreach. What, what does that mean? So for us, outreach looks mostly um, through guided walks. So we do, okay. we conduct, well, in the, in the before COVID times. We, <laughs> the before four times. The before four times. We conducted um, free guided walks. Uh, okay. for the public every month we will do a guided walk in some nature space in Singapore so be it we have nature spaces in we Singapore. have plenty of nature spaces it's good to know <laughs> places like Sungai Below Nature okay. Reserve Bukit Timah Nature Reserve Tampanese Eco Green um, oh yeah so there's some that are more obscure as well like Tampanese Eco Green yeah. Pasir Ris Park um, isn't Tampanese Eco Green really tiny compared to Sungai Below and stuff like that honestly all of them are really tiny Singapore is really tiny mm. if you compare the forests in Singapore to the forest in Malaysia. Singapore could fit in some forests in Malaysia. So 
Like, it, it just goes to show that, like, you know, the sense of scale is completely warped for us. Yeah. Where for us, everything is just so close together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we conduct like these free guided walks around Singapore. Um, and we bring, so NPARCS has regulations on like how many people you can bring into a nature reserve at one time to minimize impact. So we, we bring in about 20 people into a nature reserve yeah. at any one time and we show them these animals in the wild. So we say, hey, okay, so this is probably a, like the forest has a very kind of different um, environment yeah. to like your city state. So you'll see a lot of animals there that you won't see in the city. So for example, your four-ridged toad. What's right? that? It's like this beautiful orange colored toad mm. um, that has four ridges running down its back. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And it makes a really, really cool call. Um, sounds almost like a telephone going off. It's like... Really? Yeah. And it's calling uh, in the late afternoon. So it's like 4, 5 p.m., 6 p.m., yeah. like before sunset. Yeah. Um, you have like these 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 four ridge toads just calling in droves. And, you know, that's like such an alien environment to be in, mm. right? Um, to imagine that Singapore, uh, which as you said, like, like so many people don't even know these green spaces exist, yeah. much less the animals that live with, inside them. So... Um, for them to 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 be brought into these spaces and to encounter these animals in the wild uh, and to learn how to you know interact with them respectfully um interact that's part- with them respectfully yeah so like if you see a snake yeah like let's say we see a snake yeah. on one of these walks um one of our main things is to you know maintain a safe distance so we don't like we don't like no sudden movements um, not so much about the sudden movements. It's more of like uh, we don't like you know. I- I'm sure you've seen like uh, Steve Owen, like you know, a lot of his stuff is like running head on into the into the middle of the snake pit and then grabbing the snakes. Um, that's kind of the opposite of what we are okay. trying to. Not to say that Steve Owen is like a bad person. He mm. did a lot for conservation. Mm. Um, it's just that that's not the kind of behavior that we want to encourage in you know the the mass the public. Yeah, right. Because that's patently dangerous yep yeah uh and also it, it has its impacts on biodiversity so um it's more of observing it from a distance much like how you would observe say a, a group of otters why can't we observe a group of well not a group of snakes but like a snake mm, <laughs> yeah that that is very true yeah so kind of encouraging that kind of an experience um and um answering questions that people might have so what are some of the common misconceptions that people would ask um, people do have quite a few misconceptions, especially surrounding like your snakes. Yeah. Um, are they more forgiving towards frogs? F- frogs, yeah, they're more forgiving. But like, so, so people would think like, one, one of the things that people think is that um, um, fro- toads, yeah. um, they're covered in warts, right? Mm. So if you touch them, you can get warts. Huh? Yeah. No, that's, that's a misconception. I mean, it, it, it sounds like something like a mother would tell the child not to touch. So yeah. You, so you wouldn't really touch it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that is good advice to not touch Probably a toad. germs, bacterial, probably. But uh, they do have they do have a toxin called yeah. uh, bufotoxin. 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 Okay. Um, toads specifically do excrete bufotoxin, but they don't give you warts. It's not like mm. HPV where you touch it and then <laughs> yeah. suddenly you have warts. That's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, for snakes, you know, there's some there's some uh, that I've heard from older older generation people. Where it's like, uh, if you kill a snake, the mate will come seeking revenge and try to the kill the mate. The mate. The the oh husband, the mate. Yeah, the spouse of the, the snake <laughs> of the snake you just killed will come 
to seek revenge. Yeah. I mean, don't kill snakes, but yeah, also yeah, yeah. like they don't have the capacity for revenge. Yeah. Yeah. And they also don't form complex relationships like that. Mm. Yeah. So uh that's one of the more common ones that I've heard, I think. Um also the whole like uh, all snakes are poisonous, all snakes are venomous, that that kind of that kind of like misconception is, is quite common as I well. I don't think the media helps as well. <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> I mean, Stomp for one, right? Like, yeah. uh, I don't know if you remember, like, a few years ago, Stomp was, like, quite a big thing. I'm not sure if it's such a big thing these days. Probably not these days, but definitely a few years yeah, ago. What so about it? There's a lot of citizen journalism where people will, like, encounter a python. And it's just sitting there. It's not doing anything. Mm. Python, right? And then they take a photo, submit it to Stomp. Yeah. And Stomp will put it on Facebook, pixelate the python. Oh, God. <laughs> for clickbait. <laughs> and then, and then, the, and then the, the, the headline will be like, man makes horrifying nightmare find on East Coast Park. Oh, the words though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the vocabulary used. Yeah, so the, the words, the, the way we talk about it is also kind of, yeah, indicative of our, of, of our general perception of these animals. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm very curious. Um, you said that you, you, you're one of the co-founders. Mm-hmm. Um, how long ago did the society start? And assuming that you have to lie us with a lot of like government officials, you have to lie us with a lot of government bodies to conduct these, um, these talks and this, the outreach programs. Um, how was it at the beginning? We started in 2015. Mm. Um, at that time I was just an NS. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, did you go to Brunei? Sorry, no, I wasn't in NS. I was just out of NS, freshly out of NS. Okay. I didn't go to Brunei. I've never okay. been to Brunei. I've been to Borneo for fun, but not to Brunei. <laughs> okay. See any reptiles? Yeah, I, I went there. I went there to find <laughs> <That's cool. laughs> to find reptiles and amphibians. Um, I went to Sarawak. That was fun. Uh, but never been to Brunei. Uh, we started the society though in uh 2015. Yeah. Uh, and before that, we were just like a bunch of like enthusiasts yeah enthusiasts we were just like going around finding reptiles and amphibians in singapore and at that point i was just like kind of naive about it and i was just like cool it's nice to see these animals we can take nice photos of them share it on facebook yeah yeah and i get the 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 i get the you know the you're 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 pressing a button yeah exactly but but what is it the likes on yeah you get the likes on facebook and then you get the you get the uh the positive stimulus from all that. Right? Gotcha. Yeah. So, um, but, but from, from it never really, from it group, never really going from a group to yeah. becoming a society. I mean, that is a huge transition. It is. It, it was a huge transition at yeah. first. Uh, we were just kind of like thinking at that time, well, we enjoy this so much. We should kind of spread the love. Uh-huh. And what better way to do that than to start a society, start doing public outreach, start doing guided walks for, you know, um, people who don't normally get the chance to see these animals, because over that 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 time we were kind of developing our own skills as 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 enthusiasts and trying to figure out, you know, it's it how do we how do we find these animals in the first place in mm. the forests, for example. So that was that was like I think you know you had those teething problems where you're just like you, you start out you're not really sure what you're doing and you're just like oh I just wanted to enjoy. Reptiles and amphibians. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's a very pure, pure, pure and organic passion that kind of grew into something bigger. Yeah. And now now that we're, I think, quite a bit more serious in the things that we do, yep. um, the ways that we engage the people, we are, we're really like sitting down, having meetings and thinking about how we're doing it. 
um, it's not so, I think, immature as we mm. were when we started. Not that we started it uh, with immature intentions. It sounds very raw. It was very yeah. raw when we started it, where we were just like, okay, we like reptiles and amphibians. We want to spread the love. Yes. Yes. So it, we didn't. there was no like higher order thinking to it. But now we're like, okay, how can we reach out to say this specific audience? You know, um, we started a podcast recently. Wonderful. Yeah. What's um, it called? It's called The Tattling Toad. <laughs> Why is it called that? <laughs> well, uh, frogs make a lot of noise, so it's yes. it's a podcast is actually a great way to to feature a lot of these calls. We have like a HSS frog call library. H wait, wait, what? HSS Herpetological Society of Singapore frog call library. So where are they, are they in like little MP3s that you can? Yeah, I think WAVs. <laughs> yeah, so we we well, uh, not me. Uh, other members have gone around and like they've recorded it and they've uploaded it to a SoundCloud for. <laughs> For public outreach consumption, yeah, for public <laughs> consumption, uh, and you can even, yeah, it, it's 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 really good, um, and um, it, it's kind of like well, we're constantly trying to think of ways to reach out to new audiences to stop preaching to the choir because like there's only so much you can do with guided walks. Yeah, how many like people? Twenty. Yeah, yeah, twenty. And how many times would I have to do that to reach out to half of Infinity. Singapore? Yeah, it's it's impossible. <laughs> So, so it really needs to, and, and I think COVID has really kind of pushed us to diversify because mm. we can't do the one thing that we were relying on before yep. this. So yep. now we have to really find out, really think of new ways to do it. Yeah. So uh, how how did you guys uh, manage through the past couple of months of COVID though? Um, Zoom? PowerPoint? <laughs> <laughs> to, to some degree, uh, it's also been a bit of a relief. Like, okay. Because... To be honest, like conducting these walks is very manpower intensive. Oh, it's very, it takes a lot of effort to, yeah. you know, put up the event, right? Get people to sign up, answer questions, yeah. get the guides to come, all that stuff. Is it a ticketed or is it non-ticketed? It's ticketed. Okay. So, so I mean, we, we, it's, it's free, yeah. but it's ticketed. So we know who is coming at any moment. Oh, oh, it's free. It's free. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So as in you sell free it's, tickets on events. Yeah, I understand, yeah, but that yeah. is. <sighs> That is a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of work, yeah. 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 Um so yeah, like the podcast was part of like, you know, kind of coping with this. We were actually supposed so it was part of the Singapore Heritage Festival. What uh, what is that? Which which just happened uh like I think it just ended, if I'm not wrong. Okay. So Singapore Heritage Festival was focusing on different parts of Singapore and one of the parts they were focusing on was Pasiris. Mm, okay. So they approached us to do a guided walk at Pasiris Mangroves. Okay. So there's a mangrove boardwalk and they wanted us to do a guided walk. And we were like, okay, let's do a, a mangrove boardwalk. But then COVID came along uh, and then the plans for that got scrapped because you can't bring 20 people into the yes. forest in, in yeah. that kind of condition. So they said, would you like to do a podcast instead? And we were like, yeah, we wanted to do a podcast for a while now. So we might as well jump on this opportunity. So they're helping you guys with the publicity for that? Or? Yeah, so uh, the podcast was kind of, the first episode at least was hosted on on their website. Oh, it's fantastic. Page. Yeah, so it was, it was good. Um, and it got a really good reception as well. And in this podcast, we just kind of imagined ourselves, me and my co-host Ing Tong, we kind of Ing like um, imagined ourselves walking through the mangrove boardwalk and pointing out various no way. animals that we see. <laughs> And then like we'll play a frog call and then we'll say, Oh, do you hear that frog call? That's what this is. <laughs> that is pretty cool. Yeah. So that's that was the that was the entire like premise of that. Uh in a way it was kind of like trying to cope with not being able to do that anymore. <laughs> it's like a guided adventure. Yeah. 
going back to when you guys did the 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 guided walks, I would imagine due to the nature of it, whatever you tend to spot in a day, it's completely at random, right? Yeah, because of the nature of uh, the the creatures. Yes. So. Has there been any surprises or has there been any like interesting encounters just due to the sheer randomness that you were not expecting to see this particular type of species over there? Yeah, I mean, there are some walks, uh, luckily not that common, but like there are some walks when we don't see anything at all. Okay. And we just end up talking about the plants in that part. (laughs) (laughs) Which is okay. Yeah, I'm sure the participants of those walks were a little bit. Is that the small talk that you guys do? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, because like you have to talk about something, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. So we we talk about plants and birds and and mammals when we we have nothing else to talk about. But would that mean that? Uh, the 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 team that you guys bring in, uh, the 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 guys from the HSS, yeah. uh, there has to be like a specialist folks, for each yeah, different yeah. Uh, type of things. Not not really because like knowledgeable to be able to to to, to be able to spot to be able to know where to look. I think spotting is, so, so yes yes. Uh, it takes time to learn how to spot. Yeah, it takes a lot of practice to kind of keep going out and keep trying your luck and the first the first like one year is very depauperate there's nothing there <laughs> you, you, you you see very little and then sometimes you see something amazing yeah and that keeps you going yeah you know um that really like uh and then eventually like in your mind you kind of form the search image and you know if i want to find oh. this species this is where I should look. This is how I should look. This is the kind of habitats, the micro habitats that I should be looking at. Micro habitats. So like specific, um, specific habitats. So say for example, a waggler's pit viper, which okay. is a species of snake, yep. would prefer resting on low branches. Mm-hmm. So if I want to see a waggler's pit viper, I would look on low, low branches. branches. Yeah. So uh, that is the kind of that is the kind of like innate knowledge that you kind of pick up as you keep doing it. Yeah. And um, yeah, so that's what we try to train guides to do. Guides, okay. Um, but on top of that, I mean, it's not enough to just know about these animals. It's also important to be able to present. Oh, definitely, those animals. So yes. it's like if you if you go there and then you talk about it, really boring. Yeah, people won't want to listen. So, um, you know, guiding presentation is also that, very. important. That's another skill on itself. Completely. Yeah. 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 So, um, it's it's not easy being a herb guide. Yeah. <laughs> do Do you guys call yourself a herb? Guide. Uh, so so the act of going out into the wild to look for reptiles and amphibians is called herping. <laughs> okay. <laughs> nothing nothing have, to do with STDs. Have you got a weird looks when 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 you tell people that? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and for for some reason, there's like those weird spam bots that come mm. to our Facebook page, and then they like offer like they they give like they send they put links for like herpes medication no and like STD medication <laughs> it's all bots they're just driven there by like the word herp and and then we had to delete it like immediately because there's like kids on the page right? yeah and we're yeah. just like okay but uh, do you get a wide range of uh, audiences uh, part- participating in these activities yes That's and cool. also no so yes we have a wide like like a, a, a huge demographic yeah comes for these walks so you have young and old coming yeah. for the walks you have uh, men and women all coming for the walk. So Wonderful. there's no, there's no like, there's no like bu- bias as far as I'm aware. Not that we're collecting demographics. It's just anecdotal. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I do always question like how much real impact we're having. Like 
to come for a walk about reptiles and amphibians, you would have to have some amount of interest in reptiles and amphibians in the first place. Emoticum, yeah. A little yeah. Bit, yeah. So it's kind of like, how much uh, are we actually preaching to the choir? Uh, uh, so, so at that right, point, like right. the walks become more about empowering these people who have that interest yep. to start talking about it, yep. to start normalizing the idea of reptiles and amphibians being in our backyard. Yeah. So uh, it, it becomes less about like changing their minds about reptiles and amphibians, mm. but empowering them to change minds. Yeah. Interesting. Um, would you happen to know if the 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 government bodies in Singapore are they doing anything active to to preserve some sort of biodiversity in these nature reserves? Because the to me, when I think about nature reserve, especially in Singapore, there are uh, trails for 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 people to walk, and I think it's more like a to to form like a sort of an active lifestyle. Yeah. So when when I think of that, I wouldn't think of the areas being very biodiverse in terms of the species, not just reptiles, but anything, because. I think the last thing that any government body would want is someone getting injured just just due to perhaps negligence or ignorance or something. So would you happen to know if the the, the government bodies in Singapore, are they doing anything to to preserve, to perhaps add in more new bi- biodiversity? Would you happen to know? So uh, the government body that, you know, um, manages nature reserves, nature parks in Singapore is National Parks Board. Mm. And um, they do a pretty good job of engaging nature groups in Singapore. Mm. So uh, they have very regular like meetings. We have very regular like um, engagement sessions with them to That's ensure cool. that, you know, like um, points of view are all like kind of taken into account. Um, and, and like there's a lot of like these working groups. So say, for example, Marine Turtle Working Group, Auto working group so like there's all these working groups around so there are different groups of different species and yeah animals. so it's like it's like as in i mean it makes sense right it, like it, it makes sense by something i've never thought of before <laughs> because different different animals need different kinds of management yes. strategies so yes. say for example the way you would want to work towards otter conservation would be vastly different from how you'd want to do you know marine turtle conservation or uh you know urban species conservation so uh having different working groups with different stakeholders engaged in these working groups is very important. Um, and the more stakeholders you have, the more diverse like the range of opinions you get and the better your policy eventually becomes. Um, so yeah, uh, NParks does a good job of that. They, there is actually a species reintroduction program right now. What is that? Um, species reintroduction is so. I mean, with urbanization, with like obviously wiped out a lot of a lot of forest in Singapore. Mm. We have very little forest left, um, and because of that, you also have a lot of species extinction, species um, becoming more and more. You know, they're getting extirpated, slow, like slowly, they're getting driven out of Singapore. Yep. Uh, so, the species reintroduction program is part of uh, is part of like. Um, National Parks has planned to kind of uh, reintroduce certain species of animals into you know our forests again. Uh, say for so one of the animals on this plan is the cinnamon bush frog. The cinnamon bush frog. Cinnamon bush frog. Yeah. Why uh, is it called that? It it looks like is that a color thing. Yeah, it's 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 orange in color. Okay. With white dots on it. It's actually a really really beautiful frog. Mm. It's gorgeous. Um, so the cinnamon bush frog. 
is is one of the like the animals on the species reintroduction program right and w- one of the things they're doing is improving habitat to the point that the cinnamon bush frogs are kind of able to survive and thrive in these kinds of habitat and to some extent it's actually it's actually working um i feel uh i don't have any data on this personally yep. uh, but but, but i would imagine this is something that would be quite comforting to know that uh, it's a top-down initiative to want to reintroduce these species that might have been uh, perhaps extin- dr- driven to extinction due to urbanization that the government is, is, is just doing something like this. Yeah, I mean, it is it is like the good thing about, at least in my experience, the good thing about uh, NPARCs is that it's not hard to get feedback to them. Mm. you know there it's easy to just send an email and give feedback about okay this is something that's going good this is something that could be improved and um there's there's like a conversation conversation going that's cool. on there and that, I, I do i personally do appreciate that that is cool um where i think this could be improved is and again this is a personal opinion oh, right yeah. um i think it needs to be more bottom up and less top down what do you mean by bottom up? So there needs to be more grassroots engagement. There needs, I think, I think civil society for one thing needs to be more empowered to, you know, um, how do I put this? I feel like a lot of a lot of a lot of the way that um, wildlife management is done is mm-hmm. very like okay to the letter of the law, right? So. Um, in some cases, this makes sense. So, for example, with um, illegal wildlife uh, trade coming yep. through Singapore, right? Yep. In that case, yes, you need to you need to have a very stringent law that you know you follow it to the letter, and you're able to enforce that. Um, but say, for example, with uh, uh, like I'm kind of, I'm kind of coming up blank blank right now, but um, I I feel like having more grassroots uh, empowerment where people are encouraged to have conversations about things like you know the the for example environmental impact assessment laws or um, mm. you know uh, wildlife protection laws and to some degree we are kind of getting there but ultimately it still feels like you know enforcement is very top down mm. i'm not sure if that makes sense and when, i feel when, like when i've been see- a bit scatterbrained about this in, in explaining it when you say bottom up i i kind of can understand that yeah and would, would you consider what the hss does to be something like that like grassroots uh, education uh as, as you said before re- removing really the stigma of it yeah and 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 really again to and like to their credit there is plenty of grassroots engagement mm. like at least on the surface level where you're talking about like Singapore has biodiversity. Mm. You know, educating people about the fact that Singapore has biodiversity. There's lots of grassroots engagement there where, you know, you have things like the Festival of Biodiversity, which is what? something that, <laughs> yeah, the Festival of Biodiversity organized by national parks every year. Yeah. Um, again, didn't happen this year. A lot of things didn't happen this year. Yeah. Um, but uh, essentially what happens is you have like this entire space kind of booked out at, a mall in Singapore. So say, mm. for example, Tampanese Mall or yeah. Badok Mall or wherever, right? Yeah. And you have all these nature groups. So HSS, usually one of them, uh, and other nature groups coming down and 
kind of just talking to people at the mall about biodiversity. You can't always bring people out into nature. So Definitely, yeah. Sometimes you have to bring nature to the people. And yep. this is kind of part of that push. And I guess it makes sense in the, in, in the way that Singapore, like our our understanding of biodiversity is still very much in its infancy where most people mm. are not aware that we have biodiversity to begin with. I, I think I can definitely agree to that even before my conversation with Sean and yeah. when he was talking about that there are an undisclosed amount of, let's say, for a specialization, which is beetles, that there are species undiscovered yet. Yeah. And not, not just in Singapore on a global scale, but when you put it on Singapore, there, there are still different things that have yet to be discovered. And I guess it's something that not people, not, not, it, it doesn't come across the minds of people, especially not, not, not just even talk about reptiles, but let's say you talk about other, other, um, other types of creatures and animals. I don't think people think about that Singapore is a very biodiverse, uh, ecosystem of, of, of species and creatures. Yeah. Yeah. So I think where like there can be more citizen engagement is with, Say things like citizen science. What is citizen science? Citizen science is getting people engaged in, you know, uh, collecting data, for example. Is that possible? Yeah, uh, definitely. So that's something that happens around the world, actually. So one of the one of the places that has done this quite effectively, I feel, is Australia, where mm. they have this thing called frog ID. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like it sounds like Tinder for frogs. <laughs> <laughs> that is a thing that happens in other places but <laughs> wait what <laughs> yeah 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 um th- that's something i think they did in um i can't remember which country it was somewhere in south america yeah there was like an endangered frog that there was there was like one last frog of wait just one left one quantity one yeah it was like a male okay a male frog that yeah. didn't have a mate yeah so they created like a tinder profile for this frog <laughs> And they kind of use that as publicity to raise money yeah. to go out to find a female. Wow. And, and what happened? They found a female. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Um, yeah, I'm not sure how the breeding program is. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, circling back to like the Australia, the frog ID thing, right? Where they actually have um they have like a uh, Google form or or like a form, right? Where you can go out, record frog call. Mm. Like basically like after monsoon, for example, there'll be frogs calling, right? So you just record the call and you submit it. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So you have a GPS location and a frog call. And and that would feed into a, a massive database. database. So you don't even have to identify the frog. You know, you can just have a steady stream of data mm. where you have I like I know the location and I know the species. Yep. I mean, you need someone to identify the frog call yeah. and they do that manually. Very painstakingly. <laughs> so I, w- I would imagine, so let's say if we're in Australia right now, and let's say if I find a specific type of sound from a frog in my back, yeah, I will yeah. record it, uh, send the location to this database, and I would imagine a researcher would come down and do the proper legwork no, no, for it? No, that's it. Um, huh? Like, you just use citizen science, basically data coming in from people to feed into a database and say, okay, so we know this species is over here. So let's say... In the scale of Australia, imagine you have a yeah. map of Australia in front yeah. of you. The data is coming in from all over Australia. Mm. And I wouldn't have to go all the way down to, say, Tasmania. Yep. In order to, you know, record a frog call. You know that based on this particular sound it makes, maybe even a picture the person submits, you know yeah. that it's okay, okay. Yeah. So that is that is citizen science where you engage, you literally crowdsource. 
the data collection aspect. And of course, there's like, you know, because it's not as standardized as regular science, it's harder to get clean data from it. Mm. But it is still valuable in and of itself because not only are you getting some data, you are also getting people excited about animals that they may not have noticed before. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So that's something that I thought Frog ID did and and still does very well. Um, Yeah. So is this something that so I asked Sean this question because he was telling me about how that there's is is there is there is there like a search platform for the types of reptiles, amphibians, and everything that you guys can use? Is there like a database? Uh like a list of every reptile ever? Ever discovered, yeah. Well yeah, so there's 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 one called reptiledatabase.org. <laughs> Very original. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, and for amphibians, there's amphibioweb.org. So you search uh, the type of maybe the color, the oh, that, not not, not that, that specific. Not that specific. Okay. So you, it's it's more of these are more of taxonomic databases. Mm. So these databases will essentially track the. I don't know if Sean explained it to you about like how species names can change. Please, uh, yeah. Hit me. So. Yeah. Uh, Say, for example, I have a species of bronzeback. Okay, let's, let's, it's, it's a species of snake, okay, called a bronzeback. A bronzeback species cool. yeah. snake called the bronzeback. It's called the elegant bronzeback, okay? We had that in Singapore. And for the longest time, we thought that, you know, everything that kind of looked like this snake was the elegant bronzeback. Okay. But one day, scientist comes along and looks at it and is like, hang on a minute, this bronzeback that I thought was an elegant bronze bag looks slightly different from what another bronze from what all the other elegant bronze bags look like. Yeah. And so he splits it. He splits the species. He says, okay, this is a separate species. Oh, Even though okay, I okay. thought it was the elegant bronze bag, it is now actually a different bronze bag based on all these characteristics. Yep. So there's a splitting of the tree right there and then. Okay. Uh, n- not the tree, but it's just the it's just the our definition of what the two species are. It doesn't mean they are necessarily related. It just means that they look the same. They look similar, but different minor enough. Minor differences. We, minor differences that are different enough that we can split them. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So um so this this snake is all of a sudden, it's a new species that was defined as another species previously. Mm. So previous say studies that have referred to this new species would have used the old name for yeah. it. Yeah, so you need to track all these changes. Yeah, it's kind of think of it like a Google Doc where, yeah. you know, like there's changes being made all over. It's like a collaborative you change Google change one Doc. word, then everything will change. Yeah, everything will change. So like Google Docs actually keeps track of all these changes yeah. to, to make sure that you know who made what change where. So these databases do a pretty good job of keeping track of, okay, so this scientist defined this species as this. Yeah. This scientist defined it as this in yeah. like 20 years later. Yeah. And then now we know that this is actually a completely different species. Does it get very confusing? It, it does. It does. <laughs> Taxonomy is very confusing. And there are some groups like your bent toed geckos, which okay. are a group of geckos with bent toes. Mm. Um, there are just so many species and the story just gets very confusing. Um, I can give you an example. Please. So in Singapore, we used to think that, um, all the bento geckos that we were seeing were marbled bento geckos. Marbled bento geckos. Right. That's a mouthful. Okay. Yeah. So then, um, 2012, a bunch of scientists come along and they say, hang on, this gecko looks different. So it's actually the Singapore bento gecko. Huh? Yes. So 
they said all the bento geckos in Singapore that look like that are Singapore bento geckos, yeah. different species, yep. right? And they, they give it a very nice name, Certodactylus Majula, <laughs> right? <laughs> what a Singapore branding in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then, so then all the data that had been collected for the marble bento gecko in Singapore were suddenly transferred to the Singapore bento gecko. Then, few years later, a bunch of people went out again and found. Oh wait, we had marble bento gecko in Singapore the entire time as well, coexisting alongside the Singapore bento gecko. So okay. now it's very difficult to kind of tease out the data and say, okay. We know what is the marble bento gecko and which, which one is the Singapore bento gecko historically. So it does get very confusing. But on the surface, is it minor, minor, minute differences? Yes. Sometimes it can be very difficult to tell them apart. So it could even fool certain people who, are, who specializes in this. It would fool me, honestly. Mm. Like you, I, you, You're able to tell. I have been herping since 2014. And, <laughs> so funny, okay. And, and some, some, some groups of animals, like yeah. your bentot geckos, are just very hard to differentiate. So you need to look at like a, a, like a whole list of characteristics and say, okay, so this marking on the nape of its neck is crescent shape. So it... So, so then you move on to the next characteristic and okay, so the, the, the toes are being bent in whatever way. Or you look mm. at the certain tubercules on their, on their, on their skin. So sometimes it can be really minute differences that you have to really zoom in on. Um, salamanders are another group of animals that are like this. I remember in, I was in America mm -hmm. on an internship. Um, I was actually in, uh, the Smoky Mountains, okay. North Carolina. So, uh, this is, like the hotspot for salamanders in the entire world. And um, we found what one salamander inside a stream, right? And I was trying to identify it using the book. And so the book has this thing called the dichotomous key. What is that? So it's like a list of characteristics and it'll tell you if you see this characteristic, move to point number four. Oh, it's like a mind map. So kind of like a choose your own adventure. <laughs> Right, where you, you jump from the number to, to, yeah, to, okay. yeah. And then, and then ultimately you just like, it'll say, okay, if you, if it gets all these characteristics, it's this, it's this species. Yeah, okay. One of the characteristics was literally open the mouth of the salamander and look inside it for two holes at the top. So that's how minute the differences can be. While the salamander is still alive. Yeah. I mean, like it's on the roof of its mouth. It should have like these two, like. What, what, just to tangent a little bit, what? evolutionary function would that two holes serve? I have no idea. I'm sorry. <laughs> but just because of those two holes, someone somewhere sometime split it and said that this belongs to uh, this particular It, it might have been split for like genetic, using yeah. genetic um, you know, evidence as well. Or it could have been split for any other like reason. But basically this, this, this choose your own adventure was telling me to like look inside the mouth of a salamander yeah. in order to identify it to yeah. species level. Uh, and the salamander was already long gone. Like I just had a photo <laughs> of it. So, <laughs> so when I trying to find its name, it just went away. <laughs> no, like I had a photo of it and I was like, okay, I can identify it using a photo. Yeah. I thought that would be a rational, you know, normal thing yeah. to do. But no, the book disagreed with me and yeah. said, you need to work harder, Sanka. <laughs> so what what was the conclusion for that? Uh, I'm pretty sure it was a seal salamander. You're pretty sure? Yeah. <laughs> but just, just because you didn't look underneath. I, I like I think based on like the, <laughs> the range and everything, you can kind of get a good idea of what it is. Mm. There's you it, it's very rare that it's just one characteristic that helps you tell the species mm. apart. Usually there's like a few characteristics that will You have will, to tell you. 
Yeah, and, and within species, there's there's variations as well. Like just between you and me, for mm. example, there's like variations, right? Mm. I have like a little bit of stubble, and you don't. Mm. So that's like a that's like a, a variation right there. And yep. that same kind of thing can happen in animals, you know. Like, say but that's for, a really minute thing, isn't it? It sometimes the differences between species can be just as minute. Oh, it's hair pulling. Oh, yeah, God. it is quite. Uh, is is it a very yeah. big discovery when someone finds a new species? It's kind of like peeing oh, different on a tree for a like for a taxonomist. Like naming a species, discovering a species, and naming a species is is kind of like it's kind of a big thing because it's like and I think that really it's more for vertebrates. What's a vertebrate? Uh, vertebrate are are animals with backbones. Okay, so reptiles, amphibians are vertebrates, right? So you for for people who find say a new species of bird, it's a lot more impactful than say someone who finds a new species of ant. Yeah, because right? like someone who finds a new species of ant is like, okay, great, one down, a million more to go. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Whereas for like birds, you're like, wow, that's. I thought we knew like most of the birds by now, but no, that's that's like another species now. Mm. Yeah. Do you get to name it, or do you have to follow uh, like the Latin name and everything? Yeah, so you do get to name like new species that. I mean. Like the person who describes the species gets to name it. Ooh. Yeah. So not necessarily the person who finds it, although they can be the same person. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Okay, dialing it back a little bit. Um, yes. I'm particularly curious as to what triggered, I guess, your initial fascination with all this. Did it start from young? Uh, did 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 someone introduce you, or did someone bring you out when you were young to, I guess, to play, and you found something because. Until until we had this conversation, and until I think Sean recommended you, I've never met anyone this particularly into, I guess, reptiles and everything. So I'm very curious as to what triggered your fascination for. Uh, for me, it actually started in 2014. I mm. was just out of NS, actually. No, I was still in NS. It's a very depressing time for me. So it was okay. like, um, at that point, I was searching for like something to do mm. that would interest me as a person. Yeah. Um. And at that point, I was already kind of interested in nature and ecology. I wanted to become an ecologist at some point. An ecologist. Yeah. And I, I had already at that time been doing like guided walks for three years. Uh, but I joined one of my seniors from NUS. Mm-hmm. I volunteered for his uh, FYP. Oh, what was he doing? Uh, his final year project. Uh, he was working on the mud snakes of Pasiris mangrove. Yep. Yeah. So I went to Pasiris and uh, there it was... It was like weirdly easy to find snakes. <laughs> like, okay. For the first time in my life, I was just like looking down and I was seeing a snake. And I was looking the other side and I was seeing another snake. How were you feeling back then? I was overwhelmed actually. Because okay. like I was like, this is a really, really cool experience. Not only am I getting involved in research. And and that that in a sense is also citizen science, right? Because mm. you're getting like citizens involved in the science that you're doing. Yeah. And that can kind of inspire them to do more yep. in the future as well. Yep. So citizen science has its, has its value. Um, but yeah, so it's like, uh, for me, that was like, like this crazy out-of-body experience. Mm. Yeah. And uh, so on that particular survey, I met like a, a couple of friends there, um, Ingsen and Ingtong, who are both also co-founders of the Herpetological Society. 2014 and a year later, you guys started. Yeah, that's right. So, um Ingsen asked me, do you want to go herping? And what was your first thought? And I was like, I had read about like herping, but I was like, 
wow, someone's asking me to go hopping with them. <laughs> this is it's cool like Whoa. i thought i thought it was just something that happened in america but yeah. like yeah. yeah 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 but like wow it's something that we can do in singapore yeah and i, I, I kind of jumped right onto and it and kind of show you the different locations the different spots and how to look and stuff like that we just i, I mean they were about I, they were a bit more experienced than i was but like they were still very like new to it 2015 okay 2014 and they were they were learning as well they're younger than me actually wow yeah so like for them like they had been going out into forests for fun, but like it was it wasn't anything more than an interest at that time. So for for me as well, it was just like I was just like, oh cool, let's go find some snakes, take photos. Like a like it's a completely natural thing to do. It's just Very a hobby, cool. you know? Yeah, yeah. And and uh that's how it started for me, I think. Cause I was yeah. just like it, it started with that survey, but also because like I found friends doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And once you have friends doing it, it becomes like a group activity that yeah. you do together. Yeah. And then the friend group grows. Yep. Same thing. Yeah. Um, was there, uh, I'm just curious to know, was there any particular prejudice that you had before that you had to change? Yeah, I was, I was actually afraid of snakes. What? Uh, like, no. Nah, okay. I wasn't like terrified of snakes. Like, oh, I'm I'm scared of snakes. You've never experienced it. I've never like I've never been in front of a snake. Uh, like, been like that close with a snake before. Yeah. You know. And for me, I was, I was always like, kind of like observing them from a safe distance, but not super interested in them, kind of thing. I was just like, okay, cool, it's a snake. Uh, let's move on, kind of mm. thing. But never. Like, I want to know more about this species. I want to know everything there is to know about this. What what fascinates feeling. you about it? I think there's just... I feel like you could probably say this about any species of animal or, mm. or plant for that matter, or fungus. But it, it's like there's just... It's like a rabbit hole. You can just keep going like deeper and deeper into this rabbit hole and just find new questions to ask. Mm about any species you know um say the mangrove for example there's one species of snake there called the crab eating water snake the crab eating water snake yeah it's a snake that eats crabs crab wait a minute crab dash eating water wouldn't snake. the snake have to be of a certain size Yes, exactly. But yeah. this crab-eating water snake is not of that certain size. So, so, so the certain size meaning I imagine it to be quite big. No, it's not. It's actually, it's actually a, a, compared to the crabs that it eats, yeah. the head of the crab, sorry, the head of the snake is smaller than the crabs that it eats. So how does that work? Yes. So that was a question that scientists actually had for a pretty long time. And then um, they found that this snake actually has a really, really interesting way of dealing with that. Um, it actually is one of the few species of snakes that breaks its food up into smaller pieces before eating it. Oh, interesting. So the crab-eating water snake will go after these vinegar crabs, right? And they're about like this size. Like, like a handful? Yeah, like the size of like your palm, right? Yeah. And, and it's like they'll grab, the, they'll grab the crab and pin it into the soft mangrove mud yeah. and slowly pull off the legs one by one. Just using his head. Just so it'll pin it down using its body. Yeah. And then oh, use its wow. head to kind of pull out the legs one by one. And the and the crabs will kind of like let go. Like they, they have the ability to yep. drop their legs when, yep. when they get stressed, right? So they just pull it off. And then once they're done eating the legs, they'll eat the body. Wow. Yeah. And they have like these massive teeth inside their like their 
their jaws, right, to yep. kind of crush the crab up as well. And their stomach linings, extra tough to deal with, like, this sharp, like, input that it's giving them. And they also have, like, this ability to kind of extract the salt water. They have, like, salt glands that can get rid of the salt inside the crab as mm. well. Because the crabs are salty. Yep. They live in salt water. They're salty as well. Yep. So the, the, the snake is actually able to cope with all that. But these are just through evolution because they are, they primarily feast on all these crabs and they kind of have to evolve to have the, the capacity to even feast on them. Precisely. Yeah. It's, it's wild to just see that snake in front of you and to just realize like everything that it represents. And a lot of the research that was done on the crab eating water snake was, it started out in Singapore mm. at Pasteurized Mangrove, in fact, you know, where people observe this kind of behavior and they, you know, they did a publication on it. Yeah. What is the reticulated python? Um, you you mentioned that you did a thesis on it. Yeah. So uh, what is it? I was I studied uh, life sciences in NUS and okay. um, same as Sean. Mm. And uh, my final year project was on reticulated pythons in Singapore. Mm -hmm. So uh, reticulated pythons are the longest species of snake in the world. Okay. Yes. And. Um, Ever since the tiger went extinct in Singapore, we tigers went extinct. In Singapore. We don't have tigers in Singapore anymore. So in 1930s, they shot the last tiger in Chuachukang. Okay. Yeah. Um, ever since then, pythons have become the la the largest predator in Singapore. How large are we talking about when we say large? Can uh, you paint me a picture. Pythons, wild pythons, can grow in excess of like six meters. Jesus. Yeah. So they can be massive. Uh, what is the difference between a python and a snake? Pythons are snakes. Pythons are a species of snakes. So can it be reticulated snake? So, so a reticulated python is a species of snake. Okay. Yeah. So reticulated just refers to the pattern on mm. the python, which is like kind of, it's got all these chunks on it. Right? Pythons are a species of snake. But pythons are a, are a family of snakes. Okay. Reticulated pythons are a species specific. Oh, so confusing, yeah. dude. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. It's like it's like how humans are primates. Y yes, yes. And humans are a species. So primates are like our are the group in which we are grouped together. So within primates, you have humans, chimpanzees, mm. uh, monkeys, yep. and all that stuff, right? So within snakes, you have pythons. So within pythons, you have your reticulated pythons, your ball pythons, your blood pythons, a bunch of different pythons. Okay. But reticulated pythons are one species. Yep. Within that, um, so these are the longest snake in the world and mm. they live amongst us. They're very, they're intensely adapted to the urban environment. Mm. Um, and my project that I did in my, um, in my final year was investigating the diet. Why in particular this species of uh, pythons? Well, it's really, I mean, it's the only like living species of python we have in Singapore right now. Oh, okay. Um, in the wild. But, um, it's it's interesting, especially when you consider the like the way we treat pythons. We treat them as pests. Mm -hmm. When you see a python in you know the drain, first your first in instinct is to call the pest control. Yep, and it's to is to react with fear. But the results of previous studies and my study as well um, kind of showed that pythons are overwhelmingly in urban habitats, feeding on introduced rats. Oh, wow. So pythons are actually pest control. Yep. Nature's pest control. They yep. are biological pest control. So yep. um, kind of treating them as 
tests is unfounded. You know, um, it's very rare that you have actual Python human conflict. Mm. Um, there are certain incidences of like Pythons biting people, but most of the time Pythons just want to be left alone. Most of the time Pythons want to be left alone. They do, they do. <laughs> they want nothing to do with people. Mm. You know, um, they're in urban habitats because the forest here has been destroyed. Yep. And there are plenty of rats. Yep. We don't manage our trash properly. So rats. And they just grow habitat. and fester and whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Rats are here. So pythons show up to consume the rats, mm. you know? So it's, it's, it's kind of, if you think of it like from a systems thinking perspective, if you want fewer pythons here, manage your trash properly. So we don't have rats. Mm. If you don't have rats, you won't have pythons. So that's the eco, that's like one small, uh, food chain yeah it's it's yeah it's, it's it's a small tiny food chain right there right um but so in my project what i did was i kind of um use molecular techniques to Wait, what uh, molecular yeah, i'll explain techniques. so yeah. um what i did was uh, have you heard of acres no okay so acres is a wildlife rescue group in is a wildlife rescue organization in singapore and they do amazing work um throughout the country so Every every month, they they along with wildlife like pest control operators capture up to forty to fifty pythons every what? month. Yes, from urban spaces alone. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So all these pythons that are captured from urban spaces are brought to the zoo. Okay. Okay. And the zoo will microchip the pythons and release them back into the wild. Why would they do that? Because they're wild pythons. So you're microchipping them so you can keep track of individual pythons, mm -hmm. but also you want them back in the wild. They are wild pythons. Okay. Yes. I would imagine that they would want to keep them in the enclosure, but I guess since I they're mean, wild pythons, that kind of makes sense to, to release them back. I mean, if, if this was an otter and you rescued an otter. Okay. Okay. All right. Yes. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Yes. You would release yeah. it back into the wild. So Vacuum same thing goes for snakes. Speaking. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So, so you would release it back into the wild and, mm. and they do. So they release it into forests. So instead of releasing it back into urban areas, they release them into <laughs> forests, which, which makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, and sometimes the pythons actually come out into urban areas again and you can like see it from the microchips. Mm. Right. So, uh, the pythons, what I would do was I would collect the fecal matter mm. from the, the poop, basically from these snakes pythons. Poop? Sorry? Snakes poop. The snakes poop. That's a revelation. Okay. Yeah. So you gently palpate the snake and the poop comes out. Is it soft, hard? Uh, it's, hard. it's hard. Oh. Yeah. So snake poop is very different from our own. Um, in that basically snakes have like um, a multi-purpose hole called the cloaca. The, okay. Right. And it functions as their, you know, uh, like a replacement for their anus mm. and their urethra and their... Reproductive organs. Well. Multi-purpose. It's, okay. it's really, it's like, it's all in one hole. That's yeah. what cloaca actually means. It means, I think, all in one hole. Uh, don't <laughs> quote me on like that. Sounds like a golf term. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, birds have that too. Yeah. But yeah, so, um, the, for us, we remove like our, our, our nitrogen from our bodies using, using urine, right? Because mm -hmm. we excrete it via urea. Mm -hmm. uh, snakes and reptiles actually excrete urates, uric acid, and it's solid, chunky. It looks like cottage cheese <laughs> wow okay that's an image okay yeah so it poops it out yeah. together with the poop so you have chunks of poop and you have chunks of urates mm. um, wait you have two different chunks you have you have white urates and brown poop. i wanted to 
to to make a joke about it being white, but it, it is actually white. It's actually white. <laughs> it's white like cottage cheese. The okay. urates are white like cottage okay. cheese, and then the. I'm sorry if I'm view- ruining <laughs> dinner. <laughs> dinner for anyone. And and the poop is brown, right? Okay. So the poop is full of hair, bones, yep. whatever is eaten, yep. right? Yep. I I collect the poop and I bring it back to the lab. Well, I brought it back to the lab. Um, crush it up, homogenize it. Uh, and, and and each python has like an individual like GPS code from where it was caught, as well as a microchip number. Mm. So I can I can tag every single piece of poop. Yep. To an individual python. So you can kind of see what it has eaten, how long it has been digesting. I, I can't tell how long it's been digesting, but I can tell using so I can I can kind of sequence the DNA within the poop mm. to figure out what the python has been eating, where the python was from. So Python here must be eating rats. Yep. Whereas Python's closer to the forest, maybe eating squirrels. Do you have to go back to the same Python to collect the poop again? Or is it just a one-off thing you, that you collect from a sample size of pythons? Eh? So I, I went every week to the zoo to collect <sighs> poop from <laughs> the pythons that were coming in every week. You know? yeah. yeah. So there's like 40 to 50 pythons every month. Um, in total, I had 91 pieces of poop. Wonderful. Yeah. It sounds um, like a nursery, right? 91 pieces of poop on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> was... was did, did anything surprise you when when you finished your thesis? Yeah, yeah. Um, there are pythons everywhere, literally everywhere. Uh, it's not a comforting thought, but okay. To me, it is because that means there are fewer rats everywhere. I mean, look at Bukit Batok, right? It's like Bukit Batok had like multiple rat infestations. Mm. You know, twenty fifteen, twenty sixteen, twenty seventeen. They just the rats just come, kept coming back to the hill. You know, and it's like rats actually can spread diseases yep. like leptospirosis um the plague well <laughs> yeah a long time ago but yeah, yeah. like you you have actual like uh, uh public health risks yep. from having rats running around whereas pythons don't oh they don't spread any diseases mm, they, they spread fear yeah that, that's our own fault yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah that's our own fault yeah yeah the, the snakes want nothing to do with us they, mm. they don't really spread any diseases um and they just eat rats would do correct my ignorance on this, but would would do you imagine that because you 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 mentioned that there are pythons everywhere? Yeah. Would there ever be a point in time where there is too much of them just because they reproduce? How 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 would that work out? There's something called the carrying capacity for any ecosystem. What is that? Um, is the maximum? It's kind of like a limit. Okay. Um, and so so say for example you have x amount of food in in an ecosystem in an abstract ecosystem you have x amount of food right that amount of or, or resources that amount of resources will kind of uh limit the maximum amount of growth that any animal would see yep right so if there's not enough food the animals would not be able to reproduce as much they would probably have higher death rates but if there's a abundance of food then you would you would have like skyrots, uh, like you have more birth rate and less death rate. Mm. You have healthier population and you have more population growth as well, right? So uh, the best way to manage like python populations would be to manage rat populations. So it goes back on itself. It, it it really does go back on itself. So if you have bad trash management, you have rats running around everywhere. Yep. You also have pythons coming out. Mm. Yeah. Now and again, it's uh, I I don't want to make like a like a Overly simplistic? Yeah, overly simplistic um, statement on this because like we don't know how many pythons there are in Singapore. Do you want to know? 
I mean, <laughs> anyone who can find that out, I, I take my hat <laughs> off to them because like pythons are not easy to to count. You know, it's not, what do you mean? I mean, how are you gonna find them? Like with with mm. say with with dogs, right? Like I could count every dog in Singapore if I put in enough enough effort. Enough effort. Yeah. <laughs> But like, if you ask me to count every python in Singapore, like they're also well hidden. Some of them are yeah. living in the sewers. Yeah. I have to track. It's it's a hard job. You can't. I don't know how many pythons there are in Singapore. Yeah, and it doesn't serve any particular purpose. I would imagine counting, knowing the number of pythons in Singapore. I mean, you could argue like for ma- better management that you want to know how many pythons there are, but like it's not a realistic. And probably by the time you finish counting, like there would be a different number yep, yep. <laughs> because like some would have died and some would have been born, right? So it's like not really a feasible thing to count. Yep. Yeah, at least in my view. Um, but it's like, it's not really, a, it, that, that's a hypothetical, right? Like, mm. would we ever have too many pythons? Like, we don't have too many pythons right now. Mm. Um, the, and the fact that we don't see pythons every day, like on our way to work is yeah. indicative of that. Like seeing a python is still an anomaly for the average Singapore resident. Anomaly, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's I, uh, I don't think it would ever get to that point. Mm. Um, especially, least of all in an urban area. Yeah. You mentioned about uh, being a teaching assistant. Yeah, I'm working as a zoology teaching assistant at NUS right now. What is what is zoology? Zoology is the study of animals. Um, I wanted to say the study of zoos, but okay. <laughs> the study of animals. Yeah. It does does that differ from uh, whatever you do with HSS, or is it something similar? What I is mean, the curriculum like? The stuff I do at HSS is purely voluntary. Wow, uh, it's just my interest. Yeah. Um, the the teaching assistant stuff is my job. You mm. know, that's my work right now. Um, what does that entail, though? What what what, what does that look like? When I you say I you actually teach just it? started on this. Oh. <laughs> so congrats! Uh, and, and the, thank you, thank you. So yeah. the, the school semester hasn't started yet. Yeah. Um, I'm excited for it. Uh, to see where it goes. I'm excited. Uh, for the students to come in. It is a bit of a weird year. Weird time. Really. Weird time. Yeah. So um. I think one of the challenges is figuring out how to get like a good kind of curriculum going. Um, how do you how do you get feel experience for people? Mm. You know when you're also having to socially distance. Yep, yep. Yeah, so that's like a, a very unique challenge. Um, yeah, I don't know how much of this I can share. I say like, <laughs> share as much as you're comfortable. With, yeah, yeah. Really. As in, I, so like this is okay. Um, yeah. I, I think one of the unique challenges of like 2020 is. For me, at least, trying to think about how to kind of provide the same amount of exposure to biodiversity that I got as an undergraduate yeah. to students who will will frankly not have that same experience, right? Yeah. Just because of, you know, social distancing, um, you know, COVID regulations. At least for that. the next six, even one year, really. Yeah, and, and, and rightfully so, right? Because... It's just a a matter of public health. Yep. Yeah. So uh, that's a very unique challenge, and I think it's very in line with what I enjoy, mm-hmm. which is just communicating about biodiversity to people. Biodiversity. So with zoology, there is no one specific type of animal you're studying. It's the entire ecosystem. Yeah. So I'm 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 the I'm a teaching assistant for a few modules like natural heritage of Singapore, um, biodiversity ecology and the environment and 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 these are all just like modules that kind of 
uh, have different audiences within yep. NUS, right? Different yep. audiences, and they, um, I think they teach very important things. Important things for yeah. people. Um, Why is it important? It's important to know about the biodiversity we have. I think. Um, say for example, natural heritage of Singapore. Mm. I can give I can give like my my own experience taking Please. that module as a yeah. student. Um, natural heritage of Singapore was a module that was kind of targeted towards um, the general student. So it's a general education module, mm-hmm. right? So it's targeted to not just science students, but also art students and engineering students. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, and business students. So like, it's not something that was meant for someone who is already super into biodiversity. Although you can take it yep. if you are interested in biodiversity. But it is it is kind of like a primer for you know, like all these students from like business backgrounds, engineering backgrounds to come together and say, this is biodiversity that we have in Singapore. This is something that it should be fundamental knowledge for us. If Mm. if I had it my way, like that knowledge should be in primary schools. Mm. You know, that should be something that we should all be learning regardless of what- Source of national pride. Definitely. To know that we have these things here. One thing that always bugged me was, uh, well, not always. One thing that bugged me once was- (laughs) (laughs) Was uh, <laughs> way to step down from that statement. <laughs> there, was, there was this, there was this National Day Parade that I yeah. went to, uh, yeah. where they had like you know like they had like oh eighteen nineteen you know and oh no before eighteen nineteen when Sang Nila Utama sure. came to Singapore, uh, it was just a forest you know it was a jungle, and then they had like a red-eyed tree frog which is a species from South America, okay, and a toucan which is also a South American species. Just weird, like, but okay. Like on the graphic, right? Yeah. You're, you're showing like South American species to show that Singapore is a jungle. Mm. And it's like, like for me, that was always like very, it's it's like, if only that person who had designed those graphics or who had planned those graphics had kind of learned about Singaporean biodiversity, local biodiversity. Like, I feel like it could really be a source of national pride. You know? Um, it could be something that we could celebrate. Like a national... National reptile. I wish we had a national reptile. My my vote for the national reptile, just on the record, is yeah. is the twin bud tree snake. Or the Singapore bento gecko, Satodactylus Majula. Okay, what is so special about the snake? The snake is cool. Uh it's a twin bud tree snake, also known as the twin bud flying snake. Flying snake? Yes. Oh Jesus. So this is a group of snakes that can flatten themselves like ribbons. Huh? Yeah, so they can the the rib cages can kind of splay out sideways and yeah. and and essentially kind of create like a concave surface underneath the snake. So it's kind of bent. Yeah, it's kind of like a kind of like a frisbee. Imagine a cross section gotcha, of a frisbee, gotcha. right? Okay, so that's okay. that's what the snake the cross section of the snake would look like as well. Okay. So the snake from the treetop would splay itself out, flatten itself out, and just like leap off the tree that is horrifying dude (laughs) it's a really like it's it's a beautiful beautiful snake it's red Mm -hmm. black white black red black yeah it's it's red black and white it's it's just one of the most gorgeous snakes i've ever seen and um it is harmless to humans it eats geckos it eats frogs um and it's completely you know it's 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 found only in our like really good forests as well. Yeah. So seeing it is always a treat, you know, especially on one of our guided walks. Yeah. 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 So showing people like, hey, look, it's a twin bud tree snake. This isn't something that you see every day. It's, it's I think, very special. And uh, that would be like my 
vote for the national reptile if we had one <laughs> we have a national bird and a national butterfly but not I, guess, a national as, I think it goes back to the to 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 the talk on the hierarchy of animals i think these are more uh outwardly friendlier creatures yeah and i and also like it's not something that the national conversation has really like shifted to like birding is seen as like a acceptable hobby, eccentric right? uncle hobby, <laughs> or rich uncle hobby. Yeah, to be really yeah. Like it, it's it's an expensive hobby because yeah. like to buy those lenses, to buy yes. the binoculars, it's it's expensive. So like a lot of rich retired uncles do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and and power to them to be honest, because like nature appreciation of any kind should be encouraged. I think. Uh, so because it's a lot more mainstream, it's something that, uh, you know nature groups can push for you know and you can actually have like a vote on it right yeah. so the crimson sunbird is our national bird crimson sunbird yeah. sounds like a metal band wonderful i've never heard wow, that we had that a national... is a cool idea for a metal band <laughs> I've, I've actually never heard that we had a national bird before yeah yeah, yeah. some people say it's a construction crane wait what the, the construction crane the one they used to build buildings yeah because the crane so it's a play on words Oh, that's a joke. That's, yes. uh, that, that's a... That's a that's okay. Okay. <laughs> that fell flat. You, you, you can edit that out in post. <laughs> so what... What do you think will happen if... All the snakes and pythons in Singapore to just disappear? Oh tomorrow? my gosh. What ecological... What, what damage to the ecosystem could, could you imagine? Because I think... Um... The, the the ecosystem and the biodiversity in it is very real. I mean, yeah. nature works in that way. You you mentioned uh, about the food chain, every and it's these are the invisible threats that we don't see or we're not privy to. Yeah. So I'm just curious to know. Uh, in, in in a previous episode, uh, I asked uh, a guest like, what will happen if all the parasites in the world? Mackenzie, Mackenzie, yes, mm, yeah. because likewise with okay, maybe not likewise, but similar to snakes and amphibians parasites usually have a bad rep yep when i think of parasites i think of uh mostly negative things and you can't see them yeah yeah so what hypothetically speaking if all the snakes and all the icky frogs and everything they all disappear what will happen what's the damage to the ecosystem well, it's hard to say. Like, it is a hypothetical, right? Like, if you had, like, Infinity Gauntlet and you just, like, snapped <laughs> only, the snakes. <laughs> only the snakes away. You know, you have a, a snake-phobic yeah. Thanos. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's very hard to say, like, what the exact impact on the ecosystem would be. How would you even quantify that? Yeah. Um, you could you could think of, like, I mean, for, sh- for sure, you'd have rats running a mob. You're yeah. rampant. Yeah, rampant, because like they have no more predators. What about cats? And I mean, Tom and Jerry kind of conditioned me to think that cats will hunt rats, but... C- cats aren't nearly as prolific as some other groups of animals in okay. terms of hunting. Okay. Like Honestly, seeing the rats in my estate, I think the cats are probably scared of them. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! It's <laughs> so, like, do you remember that Tom and Jerry episode where there was like this giant kangaroo that <laughs> dressed up as a rat? I don't, I don't. <laughs> what? Jerry made friends with a kangaroo yeah. and dressed it up as a rat. <laughs> it's like, then the, that is it's daunting. Like rat beat up Tom. <laughs> it's like, that's the rat in my, in my essay. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> so I wouldn't like really trust the, 
the cats to be able to get rid of all the rats. Yeah, yeah. sure, like getting Some rid of blood. one major predator of, yeah. of rats. But but rats do breed at a ex- extravagant rate. rate yeah. Alarming rate. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So uh, like that that like as they would be missed as predators, but they'd also be missed as prey because snakes are you know prey for a lot of animals. Things in like, Singapore. Yeah, in Singapore, like your raptors prey on snakes. Um. Oh. So your owls, your there's even a, a species of bird called the crested serpent eagle. And the name suggests that it feeds it on serpents. Eats snakes. Yeah. Mm. So I mean, I'm sure the like they could the, the the predators could probably just eat something else, like yeah. rats or something, right? Yeah. So it's not such a big deal. But um But it's a key component in this whole It is a part of the food web, right? They're they're right in the middle of the food web. Yeah. So they if you if you get rid of them. You would lose a predator and a prey. Yeah. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Interesting. Hmm. So when 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 researching for this episode, um I I realized that uh, snakes, or I guess amphibians, as, as we talked about, they have an image problem. Mm-hmm. And the media doesn't help. Whenever I think about snakes, I think I think about them as uh, generally evil for some reason. Mm. Uh, Christian mythology, yeah. Uh, but strangely enough, uh, there are certain cultures and certain uh, they 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 regard snakes to a very high degree. Yeah. I think certain cultures regard snakes as uh, divine. D- divine is one of them. Yeah. Uh, wisdom filled is another, like wisdom. And it's it's very funny because when 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 I was thinking how 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 to approach this episode, it's I I can I can kind of imagine why uh certain animals let's say let's say the panda the panda is so has has so much uh praise and admiration and adoration for it even though it really does the megafauna. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but when I try to think of let's say snakes and famous perhaps it's the fact that. Firstly, you don't really see them as much. Secondly, perhaps the fact is that they are perhaps constantly in hiding. Thirdly, because perhaps they are kind of always on the ground. So I wonder if all these factors kind of contributed to, I guess, the image and I guess the primal fear. Like it, it passes down like uh, generation to generation. Maybe maybe that contributes as well. Stories, all these different things. Maybe it just adds up. I'd like to think that's changing though. Mm. Um, there is definitely like historically there's like a huge bias against snakes mm. right although it's, it's not universal like snakes used to be thought to be really wise like the ancient Greeks used to think snakes were like you know super wise yeah um, and had the power of immortality yep. as well so yep. um, story of Asclepius for example right what is that um, so I can't remember the exact story, but uh, essentially Asclepius was the first doctor. Asclepius was the first doctor, right? And um, his staff actually has two snakes coiled around it. Oh, that symbol, right? The symbol. Yeah, right? okay, okay. So, um, and, and that's, you know, like the universal symbol for healthcare yep. and medical, you know, the medical profession. Yes. Right, so snakes are, I think they're they're historically like... It's either they're they're seen as evil, very bad, or like like divine and powerful, yep. holy, you know, kind of thing. Um, and um, 
but today it's like I feel that stigma is kind of changing. Okay. I at least I like to think that, especially with you know millennials and Gen Z. Yep. Um, where uh, have you heard of this group called Wild Green Memes for Ecological Fiends? <laughs> that sounds like a very hot page on Instagram. It, can, it is. It, can, it's 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 huge on Facebook. It's like two hundred thousand people on it. Can you it. tell me what it is? Uh, it's just a meme page, and it's all about ecological based memes. What do you mean by ecological based memes? So anything that's that's <laughs> that's vaguely related to like wild animals or okay. wild plants or fungi or okay e- ecology in general, right? <laughs> that because that people make memes of that. Yeah, and it's and the cool thing about it is it's not just ecologists. It's not just like biodiversity enthusiasts it's anybody so yeah it's a bit of a mass appeal it is really just mass appeal i have friends who are doing computer engineering who are in this group i have friends who are doing i don't know biomedical engineering yeah i don't know why i keep defaulting to engineering but it's like (laughs) in my mind that's like the polar opposite (laughs) (laughs) this to a certain degree yeah maybe yeah so uh yeah like they're all in this group right and they're consuming these memes. They're liking these memes. They're commenting. They're tagging me in this stuff. Yeah. And it's like, it's cool. It's cool to see that people are engaging with these, like on a, on a different level. Like my grandmother, for example, is terrified of snakes. Terrified. Okay. Yeah. And every time I go herping, she's like, oh, don't get bitten. Uh, out of a real concern, really. Genuinely out of real concern and love. Yeah. And I can't blame her for that because that's her life experiences, right? Like she grew up in India and at a time when it was, genuinely a scary event to have a snake in your house and something that does happen the snake bite is one of it's it's like a it's like a neglected tropical not tropical it's like a neglected disease right snake bite snake bite okay so many people die of snake bite every year um and and it's almost always in underdeveloped places Mm. you know um i think one of the very real fears when you are sitting down the pool and a snake comes out of the fucking drain i think that might have happened before sorry when you're sitting down to poop, then the snake comes off the toilet bowl. I think I think I've seen that on that, Storm that, before. That's yeah. happened. That's happened in Singapore. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, that's like a one-off. You know, consider the yeah. fact that like forty to fifty pythons get rescued, <laughs> and you hear about that like once every five. But it kind of spikes, and it kind of adds adds to the it kind of adds to the narrative. I would say. Yeah, it does. That that's really not uh, massive. <laughs> like it doesn't happen so often that it's significant. I think. I guess there, there's but the, it, that one that one event is what everyone. Yeah, yeah. Them. And I guess there is no counterbalance. There's no counterbalance. There's no counterbalance in in terms of quote unquote good portrayals. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I think of it like a goalkeeper. You know, it's like nobody remembers the 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 goals that the goalkeeper <laughs> saves. Yeah, it's only the ones that he let into the goalpost that people will be like, "Wow, that guy's such an idiot." Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good analogy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so memes will be the savior of uh, herpetology. I hope so. Maybe <laughs> you know, like you got to change, right? Mm. You got herpetology. You know, the way it started out was. Very colonial, you know. What do you mean by colonial? Well, Sir Stanford Raffles was a zoologist coming into Singapore. Mm-hmm. Um, many species of animals were described by him in Singapore and Malaya and Java, yep. Sumatra. And it, I think a lot of times biodiversity discovery was closely linked with colonization. Mm. 
you know? Uh, and at the same time, ecological simplification. Ecological simplification. You know, you, you cut down the forest and you also plant like rubber or plantations, mm. you know, cash crops in, mm, this, mm, in mm, this region. Mm. So uh, that's just like, a, that's th- like, it, it was, I, I'm by no means a, a historian, but like, um, this is just my own understanding. Yeah. Um, you know, um, and uh, it's, it's very, like, it, it started out as a very colonial activity where like, you know, colonizer goes to some place, finds an animal, brings it back, usually to London Natural History Museum. Um, And it's just like, it's just like all this knowledge is kept in very select museums Mm -hmm. that that kind of, you know, decolonizing, you know, that that entire, the entire field of um, biodiversity discovery is, is, is it's such a huge process because so many of these like type specimens, like what Sean talked about, right? Type specimens are like the very first specimen of of an individual are kept in, you know, museum in Europe. Mm. You know, um, now we have the Lee Kong Chen Natural History Museum. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot, and don't get me wrong. There's so much amazing like biodiversity discovery going on there, but there's also quite a bit of repatriation that can be done. What's repatriation? Like, um, bringing those type specimens back to like whichever country they are originally from. So what? One one alternative is digital repatriation, where you mm. go there and take really good photos of it from every angle, and you're, you get a good record of it. Yep, and that that would serve like as a proxy for having the actual specimen. Mm. Yeah, I'm not really involved in like digitization. Yeah, a- any of that sort of stuff. So I I can't really say too much about it. But this is just like I think it's it's not unfair to say that in the early days, the 1800s, you know biodiversity discovery was very closely linked with colonization. Where, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, most of the people who were discovering and describing were, you know, British or yep. French or German. Yep. Yeah. So with decolonization and I guess the field you're in, I think that's a very interesting uh, linkage of two different things. And, I've and, never thought about it that way before. Yeah. And I mean, to be really honest, it's very hard to think about like, um, any one of these fields like ornithology or herpetology or entomology and also have like as a young person in this field from Southeast Asia to have like a role model who looks like you, who talks like mm. you, who has had your life experiences. You know, there are very few, even today, Yep, there are very few people who look like you, who talk like you, who have had your life experiences and still got to that place where they are, you know, respected academics. There are, there are people who, you know, represent you yep. but they're a minority mm. yeah and i hope that changes do um, you see that changing uh, it's gonna take some time yep uh i went to the world congress of herpetology recently world congress of herpetology it was, <laughs> it was in uh, new zealand okay yeah so wch was in new zealand i went there to present my work on um the pythons wow yeah um, that was really fun. Is that like a big honor to 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 do something? I mean, like I applied that? to to yeah, but you, you got it. And yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's yeah. great. I I I was really happy. Yeah, that I got to go there and everything. Um, and like for me, it was it was uh, it was a bit of a shock to see like you know the demographics. Yeah, you know it's not representative 
like at all as in it is representative of what it truly is right like you have a lot of mostly white mm. older men and these are this is genuinely the the field of academics that there is and it's like it's it's so hard to as as a like you know as an indian as a young indian from singapore yeah it's it's really hard to kind of envision myself in the mm. future as a professional herpetologist for example um because and, and don't get me wrong there are like indian herpetologists there are role models for me but it's also at the same time difficult to envision that mm. you know and, and i i imagine doubly so for for women Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and non-binary people, mm. you know, um, it's there are so few women in herpetology. Yeah, you know, uh, it's, and I hope that changes. I really do. Very interesting. Yeah. Would this mean? Do you think this would change? Uh, would do you think this will progress uh, by itself? As time goes on, and never progresses by itself. You have to make change mm. through effort. You know, you have to create inclusive spaces. You have to create spaces where people can feel comfortable holding their identities. Mm. You have to create spaces where people can be, you know, at least in my case, like where I'm allowed to be, you know, Indian mm. as well as a herpetology enthusiast. Yep. And similarly, you must you must allow people to 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 be who they are yep along with their with with the passions that they hold mm. and i think the good thing is that it is changing but yep. it's not changing by itself it's because people are trying people are pushing for it um people are having conversations about it yeah and genuinely making change because of it and i think that's that's really quite cool to see and it's a really exciting time to be alive as well to see all this change happening it's not just the same old like, like if you went if you saw a herpetological society in like or a zoological society in like the 1800s right it's all just old guys with beards yeah. you know that's that's rapidly changing now you have, you have young people of color you have mm-hmm. it's it's so much more diverse and that's a really exciting environment to be in and i guess it reflects society really yeah yeah, but there's so much more work to be done. There's so much more work to be done to make sure that, you know, you're creating an in- inclusive space for people, that you're ensuring that everyone has a chance to to thrive, mm. you know, and that you aren't held back because of your identity. You aren't held back because of your identity. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I think having that conversation at the very start is like having that conversation in the first place is 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 hard enough but it needs to be had. The, the conversation needs to be had. The conversation about uh, how can we create inclusive spaces in science? Mm, yeah. How can how can we not, not not just inclusive spaces but how can we make science inclusive as a whole? It shouldn't be pockets of science that are inclusive. Science as a whole should be inclusive. The scientific community should be accepting and inclusive. And it 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 really is shifting towards that. Which is heartening. But there is a lot more work to be done. How do you imagine inclusivity to look like though? How do I imagine inclusivity to look yeah. like? 
I'm just genuinely curious about this. That's a big question. Yeah. Yeah. I think I would want it to be... And I'm sure there are many definitions of what inclusivity oh, looks definitely. like. Because this is purely molded by my own personal experiences yep. and my own identity as well. And it would be something where I would not... F- I would feel that it would be somewhere, a place where every like you question every single bias that you have ever had, mm. you know, about race, sexual, or, uh, like orientation, your identity, any kind of uh, bias that you have is questioned. And at, at the same time, uh, there is genuinely equal opportunity given to to people, regardless of Mm-mm. you know. When you say equal opportunity, is it like a... I, I think of nothing. I, I can't imagine what does equal opportunity mean in science. Is it like a publish of paper thing? Is it like fund, funding? Please, ex- do, do elaborate. Uh, how do I put it? Imagine, imagine yourself walking into a party mm-hmm. that you you don't know anyone at the party mm-hmm. but everyone at that party has known each other for 20 years mm, there's an ostracization not really not even ostracization because they're not trying to ostracize you mm. the people at the party aren't trying to ostracize mm-hmm. you but it is genuinely intimidating mm-hmm. to walk into that space and to feel that you do not belong there mm. because everyone else knows each other yep yep everyone else has what you don't and it's not because you didn't try and it's not because you don't deserve it. That's just the way the cookie crumbled, mm. you know, um, for whatever reasons. But walking into that party is one of the scariest things that can happen. Mm. Yeah. And surviving that party is, 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 is quite hard, you know? Are you talking about real party here? <laughs> No, uh, in, it's a this, metaphorical this party. analogy. Okay. <laughs> in this analogy, where you know, science is the party. Yeah. You know? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, right now, the the like, it's it's very hard to envision kind of like what a truly inclusive like society would look like. Mm. Right. Yeah. But I think we're still figuring that out. Yeah, we're still really figuring that out, and yeah. I think I think you need to work towards that at the very least. I, yeah. I, I would imagine as as more people get, as I think as more people see a path with regards to uh, zoology, herpetology and things of that nature, I think slowly but surely more individuals from different backgrounds, different identities would get their start and eventually get their careers in into the door and beyond well that's what I imagine yeah mm-hmm. yeah so wait, wait, I didn't get the question I still didn't get the question <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just interesting yeah. yeah 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 I mean definitely like for early career scientists mm. it's super intimidating to get started I'm I'm not even an early career scientist why aren't you considering like, early career I, scientists? I wouldn't consider myself oh, an okay, early okay. career scientist because like I, you know, I'm like, I'm barely out of undergrad. Mm. You know, I have 
had a taste of science. Okay. Yes. So this is like everything that I'm saying is just based on my observations and my limited experience. But there are people who beyond having to study science, which is hard enough in and of itself, have to battle, you know, xenophobia, Mm. sexism, um, homophobia, transphobia. We can both agree that there has no place in the realm. Yeah, really. Yeah, any kind of any kind of society, you know, should shouldn't tolerate that. Least of all science, I think. So shifting the focus back to you, why why wouldn't you consider a scientist? And what do you need to achieve before you can put that label on yourself? Because <sighs> I, I would see you as a scientist. I mean, uh, I won't see it any otherwise. Why why not? I, I this is kind of like taxonomy, which is like humans trying to put labels yep. to imaginary boundaries yep, which yep. and on a natural where scale. technically there isn't such boundaries yeah. yeah yeah but like for for me it's just like i i'm still very much in my infancy i think okay with this um i i'm working on it i i think i'm a like yeah i, I don't know i think the word scientist for me personally is very loaded it's like you know someone who is and I see a lot of like my role models, you know, they're they're constantly publishing works. Mm. You know, and it's just like like every every other month they're like putting out a new paper. Yep. Not not the new paper, a new publication. Yep. yep. <laughs> yeah. Like a research paper. Yeah, a research publication, okay. right? And it's just like you know, that's that's like wow, I'm I'm nowhere close to mm. even beginning to be like that. You can publish ten memes a day. I mean, <laughs> yeah. That that kinda of, kinda of counterbalances it. Yeah. yeah. So it's like it's like I think I think um, I want to be there, but yeah. I'm not there just yet. Yeah, work in progress. So, with research paper, um, would you say that's the life of that? That is what uh, a researcher and uh, I guess the word the scientist that that is what their their primary focus would be. Like, would that the the the, the thesis that you wrote on the the Python and the diet? Yeah, would that be kind of like the research paper we're looking at? Just to paint me a picture so I can understand what that means. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I didn't I didn't actually publish that mm. just yet, so... But that would be in the same vein of yeah. things. Yeah, you do a research on this particular, let's say, uh, there's this particular difference you want to find out, and you go into an analysis, you find uh, the main species that you were talking about, you compare and contrast over a period of time, you publish, and you write everything out. A peer-reviewed out. publication. Very yeah, interesting. So, I mean, that's... That's kind of like the backbone of of of, of science That's modern science academia academia yeah. academia yeah my so hero academia <laughs> good pretty good anime yeah but is it i'm just curious to know is it very um needless needless what what i mean by that is do you lose a bit of the joy when you have to go through all these rigors and you have to get everything peer-reviewed in text well as what you do with hss you could just do it on your own and you could just have the freedom. I guess the word is freedom Ooh. to, there is not so much uh, strict framework and like a template that you have to kind of turn all your, 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 your research through. But I would imagine if, uh, I, I would imagine through the, 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 the template of academia, you kind of lose a bit of that, that, I guess the flavor really. But once you publish, I mean, you could argue both ways. Like mm. once you publish a paper, it becomes something that's kind of part of this collective knowledge. Okay. You know, 
uh, when you publish a paper, it's something that can help other people further mm. their knowledge as well. It's something that can help someone across the world with their research. Uh, it's kind of collaborative in itself. Um, of course, it's not a perfect system. Yep. There's still, you know, stuff like impact factors. Like impact factors, to me, they don't matter. But like, it's something that scientific community has built up around. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's like this. This. I think it's not fair to write off scientific writing, scientific publication. Just like that, because it is it is genuinely valuable, and there are plenty of people who find joy just in yeah, joy, joy is genuine a very joy. strong word, <laughs> genuine actual <laughs> exhilaration and joy. There are people who who find that mm. who find that in 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 scientific publication. Okay, you know, um, and I think that's valid. That's, yeah, that's definitely very valid, yeah. and it's it's. Uh, this this comes back to like my own like gripe with society about how we kind of link productivity with um, value. Productivity with value. Yeah, like you know how a lot of times we don't believe that we are valuable unless we are productive. I mean, that's what the TV tells me. That's what. Yeah. It's a, it's a, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like unless you have a job, you don't. Yeah. You don't. You don't, you don't matter to society. Yeah. Which is like, that's one of the gripes I have with, in general. Mm. You know. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I don't. I. I. I don't think like. I. I think publication is important. I, I think having knowledge out in this sphere, it. This is like the best way to get that knowledge out there. Yeah. To the to the public consciousness. Yeah. You know. And that is the case at the moment. Yeah, that's just what it is. So, from my limited knowledge of what you said, what does growth look like in your field, though? growth look like in my field? Yeah, because um, I'm from a creative background. Yeah. So I run a creative studio and stuff like that. So growth look like to me is uh, adopting new skills, uh, learning new techniques. Or uh, personal growth. Yeah. Uh, I think the question could be both ways. Growth in career because is it just about would would learning about new would be species or types of animals be considered growth? Do, do people yeah. cross uh is there a platform? Do people learn about different types of animals like that? I mean, that's a good question. Like, what is like the kind of progression of somebody from a newbie to a not not even a career progression, but how 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 does one grow in this particular field? Yeah, it's uh, that's a yeah. Like, I can only really speak to my own experience. Definitely, yeah. yeah. Uh, and for me, it was it it started out quite innocuously where I was just like. You know, just it started out as an interest, mm-hmm. um, and and you have to choose to develop it, to to read up on it, to study it, to mm. to learn what you can. And honestly, I'm still learning. I'm yep. still making mistakes every day. I'm still, you know, finding out where I was wrong, mm. um, and clearing up my own misconceptions. So that is, I think, a pretty fun part of it mm-hmm. to find out where you were previously wrong. Painful uh, though, but yeah. Sometimes it's exciting. Exciting. It's very exciting to find out when you're wrong. Because yeah. like, that's suddenly this whole new way of thinking mm, that mm. wasn't there for you previously. Uh, I, I'm i a bit embarrassed to say this, but like I didn't, like until a few months ago, I didn't really know that snakes were kind of in, like were, in, were kind of like a offshoot of lizards. What do you mean an offshoot? Um... 
this, this gets into taxonomy. Someone so, separated it at one point in time. Is, is it something like no, that? No, no. So evolutionarily, snakes are like, snakes are just highly derived, a highly derived group of lizards. So the, the word, the word lizards, as we, as we say it, yeah, kind of is everything inside this group, except for snakes and a few other groups, like your worm lizards and everything. Unfortunately, you guys can't see what gestures he's making, but yeah, I don't understand. He's making this weird shapely gesture where you're like picking it. Yeah, it's a, yeah, I wish I hadn't brought up this example. <laughs> do, do, do you find it very difficult to, to talk to, to people about all these diff- uh, very highly scientific terms and terminologies? It's because most people don't get, well, when, when I, I would imagine when, when I see the word reptile and when you see the word reptile, it means two different things. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely like uh, it's like chicken and duck, right? Like oh, like chicken and fucking <laughs> fishbowl noodles. Yeah. Oh, drop the f bomb! <laughs> there goes the f bomb. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, I, I would imagine because because specifically to your field of study, you know so much more that but uh, maybe a word like lizard to you and to me might mean totally different things and the definitions kind of just... Yeah, but I mean like an audio encoder probably means something different to you than it does for me. It doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything to me. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I just... I just <laughs> yeah, but I kind of yeah, get yeah, that. You yeah, you get what I mean, right? Yeah. Like 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 different microphone brands, for yeah. example, right? Like I, I don't know the first thing about microphones, mm. you know? Um, so, so how would you communicate that to me in this case? Amazon reviews. Amazon. <laughs> just look at reviews. That's all you need. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, nobody's reviewing snakes out here. So. <laughs> that would be interesting. <laughs> we review snakes. 10 out of 10. All yeah. of so, uh, I mean, yeah, that's, that's science communication, right? Like, how do you take something that's pretty technical and break it down for a generic audience mm. uh, while still retaining the, the content? Yeah. yeah. So the substance uh, to it. Unfortunately, that's like, like, as you simplify a topic, you tend to lose substance. Unfortunately. Yeah. 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 Unless you're like like a god tier science communicator and you're able to like just telepathically make people understand, right? Like yeah. it's it's That's scary though. <laughs> <laughs> Horrifying. Use your powers for good. <laughs> Not for memes. <laughs> Speaking about memes, um yeah. I think one of the more fascinating is okay, we talk about memes and we kind of have to talk about social media. Yeah. Instagram and all that. Yeah. I think one of the more fascinating things I've I found out recently is that there are a lot of fucking profiles and pages dedicated to not just reptiles, not just frogs, but insects, uh macro micro yeah. photography. And I think to me, one that has never really considered this, I will call it a hidden world of uh Insects, reptiles, animals, really. I think it's a very interesting look at how uh, up close you can get with them. And admittedly, some of the shots are gorgeous. What are your thoughts on using social media to to educate uh, mm. about this? And how do you see it evolving? Yeah, social media is really a Pandora's box, with especially with, with respect to like wildlife, where you have like... It's like, at what point do you start... At what point are we loving these animals too much as well? Too much? Yeah. You can like, love them too much? Definitely. It's definitely possible to love them too much too. What, yeah. what do you mean by too so, much? So, for example, like with, with, with the advent of social media, right? Let's say I go to Borneo and I find a really rare snake. Okay. Uh, and I take a photo of this snake mm. and I post it on social media and tell everyone exactly where I found it. Mm-hmm. 
So that's information that's now out in the public sphere. Yep. Location, location data, uh, species. Yeah, you know, all that's really, really valuable, especially the poachers. Mm. So the illegal trade. Too. Yeah, yeah, people, people can just go over there, search around for like an hour or so, pick it up, and sell it. Mm. So social media is like weirdly powerful. Um, so like whatever information you do have has to be very responsible. And this is not hypothetical. It's is, actually it, happening. It happens. It happens. It's, mm. it's already happened, probably. Interesting. And social media is also a great place to for people to, you know, sell wildlife. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so there are plenty of people on Instagram that are selling, you know, geckos or whatever. Yeah, definitely. Insects, really. Insects, Insects whatever, really. Yeah. yeah. And 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 that's super messed up. But who's, who's patrolling that? Mm. You know? At the same time, you may also see someone like Coyote Peterson. What's Have that? You, he's like a YouTuber who like, uh, he's like Steve Owen, like, a bit a bit like Steve Owen. <laughs> and then he, like, he goes around like, crikey, mate. And then he gets like really close with these animals, handles um, venomous animals. But then like some 12-year-old or 13-year-old kid might, might see this. And, uh... and imitate it on social media. And that already happens. Oh, and did, did the kid, did something happen to the kid or something? I mean... There are plenty of kids who do this. Ah, oh, okay. Yeah. So I'm so I'm saying this. It's not uh, isolated. Like one 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 or two kids sees it. So like, at what point are we normalizing? Like, how can we normalize the presence of these animals without mm. normalizing certain type of behavior? Yeah. You know, and, and and that's part of like what we do with HSS as well. Where like in our walks, we don't like grab these snakes and like hold it up I hope not yeah we don't they're wild <laughs> animals scary yeah. they're wild animals we want to leave them alone they want nothing to do with us um, and it's so important that we communicate that to the people who are there with us as well because like what are your thoughts on having these let's say reptiles or frogs as pets uh, is it possible to that, do so that, that is illegal in Singapore Snake, oh, it's illegal, yeah, yeah. so the only reptiles that can be kept as pets in Singapore are Malayan box terrapins and radiate sliders. The fuck is a terrapin? A turtle? It's a turtle. Yeah, it's kind of turtle. Oh. Malayan box turtles okay. and radiate sliders. Also a turtle. Both of them are turtles. Oh, so boring. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And they must both be captive bred, so you can't catch them from the wild. Mm. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, I forgot where I was going with this. What are my thoughts on that? Reptiles, I, I personally think wild animals are not pets. Fair yeah. enough. Um... I also don't want to be too heavy-handed with the whole like, okay, you know, any kind of keep pet keeping is is bad mm, or something mm. like that. I I don't think that's fair because you know captive breeding is like a is, is it is genuinely valuable in very specific, very controlled situations. But I think like you need to have a really like. Like mature discussion about that as a society, you know. Like take radiate sliders for example. Mm-hmm. If you go to botanic gardens, mm-hmm. um, Swan Lake, it's full of radiate sliders. Okay, because people buy them as pets. They get bored of them and they dump them. Yikes! And, <laughs> and they don't die. They they just grow inside mm-hmm. botanic gardens, right? They're like mm-hmm. there forever now. So. And that's Botanic Gardens, which is like a urban yep. like pond, right? Yep. You can go to McRitchie Reservoir, Lower Pierce Reservoir, just as easily find a radius slider, just as easily find like Motoro rays, which are also you know released there. 
catfish, which people release, apple snails, people release, American bullfrogs, people huh? release. Yeah. These are all like non-native species that people just release into because like they can't take care of it. They, th- they can't take care of it. Yeah. Also like, you know, mercy release, like they, they think that releasing Very interesting. is like, you know, it gives you good karma. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But I guess with introduction of a non-native species, we're kind of disrupt. Uh, it can it can it can disrupt ecosystems that's totally a thing that happens um the impact hasn't i i i, I don't know anything about the impact yeah yeah so i wouldn't make any comment on that uh but i think it it just goes to show that people are still releasing radiant sliders out there are we really ready as a society i know i sound really paternalistic right now <laughs> but like are we ready as a society to start like you know owning corn snakes and ball pythons and mm. and to what end would what end is that serving you know I, I think it's it could be a rather innate thing to to want to ogle at perhaps a creature in a cage and treat it like sort of a prize and when you're bored of it you dump it because I, I it's more like a separation thing yeah yeah but but why have you seen tiger king no I've, I've been told to watch it yeah I encourage you to watch the tiger, tiger king it's Pretty good show. And it's not like The Lion King, right? Totally. No, 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 no. <laughs> if only. <laughs> if only. <laughs> no, Tiger King was Tiger King was 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 traumatic for me. Cause you like I th- I mean you get in, in America, like the laws on keeping exotic animals is is really lax. Yeah, it's pretty loose, yeah. It's literally a guy keeping tigers. Right? <laughs> Which I mean that's that's one extreme example, but like it goes to show how like your perception of these animals just breaks down. You mm. stop seeing them as wild animals after a point. Mm. People just want to get up close and personal with these animals and you start like like <clears throat> w- like how much of that actually helps global conservation? How how much of the money that Joe Exotic, the guy in this mm. in these documentaries, how much of the money that he collected actually helped tigers? Did it? No. I would imagine it's pretty narcissistic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. But I mean, again, it's not that captive breeding is always bad because mm-hmm. there have been successful captive breeding. I guess programs. it's the intention, really. The intention it is the of, intention. of wanting to, to, I guess the word is capture, let's say, to have them as, yeah, I really think it's the intention. Yeah. 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 Uh, there was one, there was one, I, I, like I'm paraphrasing, but there was this line in Tiger King where, like, you know, having a tiger, it's a symbol of power. Yeah, yeah? I, I, I think the same thing can be said for someone who wants to own a snake. Mm. You know, having that snake, it's it's cool. It's it is patently like it is a cool animal, but that cool factor kind of outweighs, at least the way I see it, it kind of outweighs the like the impact that you're having like what, what is the mm. impact that you're really having when you so it's like the afterthought of just owning it you have to take care of it if it's sick or whatever i guess yeah at some point people kind of stop looking at it as like a life exactly as 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 a as, as potentially a wild animal because sometimes mm. these are wild caught animals mm. Like, mm. how are we going to regulate mm you know, where these animals are coming from. Yeah, where do you obtain them? Where yeah. do you obtain them? So w- what if like you have an Indian star tortoise? That's one 
What's an Indian star tortoise? It's a tortoise. Um, With an Indian star? No, no, no. It's it's from India. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> from 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 like South Asia. Yeah. It has like like it has like a really cool pattern on it. Okay. You know, and it is quite commonly kept as illegal pets in Singapore. Interesting. And it's uh it's illegal to be trade them to trade them that way. Mm, so I guess hypothetically, when someone is bored of it, either you dump it somewhere. Or it dies from just age or whatever. Interesting. Or you don't take care of it. I, I used to work as a conservation ambassador at the zoo. Mm. And uh, so they actually kept like Indian star tortoises that were confiscated. Oh, wow. From people who were keeping them illegally. A lot of them had like deformed shells because they weren't getting calcium supplements. Because they weren't being fed. Is it habitat thing? Sorry? Like a, like a food thing, food intake? Or yeah, like, like they're not being fed properly. Mm. And they don't have calcium. So then their shells get deformed because they use calcium for their shells, right? So mm. they don't have that anymore. Yep. Yeah, and it's just like, at that point, like you really have to question what constitutes a safe and well-regulated, you know, captive trade. Yeah. Yeah, pet trade. Mm. Mm. I think that's a really, really big topic. Huge to topic. Yeah. And and I, I, I'm not... So heavy-handed as to say there that it's a like hard no on all fronts. I think it can be done responsibly. Yeah, I think, but I think as a society we need to evolve to like a different place where we start considering these animals as worthy of respect in the first place. We start recognizing the fact that these are wild animals, and accord them the like the appropriate amount of respect. I think respect is a very interesting word to 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 give to an animal. Because it as, redefines as, like the way we yeah we view them really yeah if you go to treetop walk there's like a sign there that says beware of snakes mm-hmm. right um it's like right at the like you know Venus Link right as you exit Venus Link into near treetop walk okay like this this place there's a sign that says beware of snakes every time we pass by that sign when we do a walk right I always stop the participants there and tell them we should change the sign one day to be aware of snakes. What do you think the difference is? Beware is it's it induces fear. Right? Yeah. You 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 oh there's snakes here. So we have dinosaurs. They're gonna die. There's snakes. Beware of yeah. yeah. But be aware is be aware that you are coming into a forest that the snakes were in in the first place. These are wild animals. They deserve that space. They deserve that respect. They deserve this land. That's a very interesting. That's a very interesting shift of the mindset. Though. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I think encouraging that like shift is is I think fundamental and you need to get that down first mm. before you start considering you know captive yep and, and all that stuff I think when we're talking about captive species for reptiles I think I don't even think we can get the dogs and the cats right moreover talking about yeah <laughs> exotic yeah there's so many pets, yeah. <laughs> abandoned dogs and cats and rabbits god rabbits mm. yeah Okay, um, just to wrap up, uh, answer me this. Um, are reptiles descendants of dinosaurs? Dinosaurs are reptiles. So actually, this was a point that I wanted to start off with. Oh, really? When I was describing the... Yeah, it was at the back of my mind. Yeah. <laughs> I, was like, I, was like, I was like, I didn't get I to read say it. it. <laughs> I didn't get to say it. <laughs> uh, so like, like I, I, I kind of wanted to talk about... Um, the different kinds of reptiles, right? Mm. Birds are reptiles. 
What? Yes. So birds are not birds. Birds are birds, but they are a subset of reptiles. Huh? Yes. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Okay, okay. Let me break this down. You, you, you have to draw me a diagram later, like like the subset and the, the, I, the, I, I the two sets. Yeah. Yeah. But, so okay, okay. Birds are this. Okay. So birds are dinosaurs. I've I've heard of that before. Yes, I've heard of that the the statement where a lot of the illustrations and the dinosaurs that we know today we picture are technically not like that. Those are just impressions. Yeah. Yeah. And that is fundamentally quite <laughs> jarring. It is. It is. Yeah. <laughs> like they're actually more. Uh, feathery. Yeah. 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 So birds are dinosaurs. Okay. And dinosaurs are reptiles. And birds are reptiles. Therefore, birds By, are reptiles. Therefore. Yes. <laughs> what is this so, philosophical argument? But but in the modern sense of the word, when we yeah. say reptiles, yeah. we mean all reptiles except for birds. Why is that? Because birds are I mean, there's so many birds in the world, right? Like they, they they've kind of created their own like grouping of themselves. So birds it, it, like usually when you say reptiles you mean non-avian reptiles non-bird reptiles a bird is not what I would think of when I say reptiles yeah exactly mm. exactly that's that's so somewhere along the so in in your field birds are considered reptiles birds are reptiles I mean evolutionarily birds are reptiles well, that's a mind yeah. fuck right there <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> so what do you think the T-Rex looked like I I like pink I, feathers, I, I genuinely hands. don't have enough data to <laughs> to tell you what it could begin to look like. I'm pretty sure it doesn't look like a giant chicken, but I'm also pretty <laughs> sure it didn't look like what they showed in Jurassic Park. It's probably somewhere in between. But a giant chicken would be fucking scary. It would induce the same amount of fear. I would be scared of a giant chicken. Yeah, Chickens are be. scary. They're bloodthirsty animals. <laughs> But they look so ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, just to wrap up, yeah. um, I want to talk about color. Color. Because um, as I said, when I browse social media, when I search for, let's say, hashtags for reptiles, yeah. and I get brought to these pages, and I think what fascinates me initially would be the color. Yeah. The color that some uh, amphibians might have, mm. the color that some snakes would have, and the combination that it is really startling. It, it, I, as I said, I got introduced to these fields uh, like reptiles and insects really fairly recently, and I see a lot. It's really like a whole new world like, yeah. to 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 observe, really, because you you get the the luxury of sitting in an air conditioned room, scrolling, and just looking. It's like, oh wow! So I guess it it, it kind of changes the way someone might consume these things. So I think my question is: Are there any colors that are not found, uh, let's say, on? Uh, and reptiles, or any colors that are not found on uh, amphibians? To, to your knowledge? Not really not found. It's more of they are rarely found. Mm. Um, blue is a color that is quite rare no matter where you go in, in nature. the animal kingdom. Okay. Yeah, yeah, in nature, actually. Blue is a color that is quite rare. And the I think that's like quite hotly debated like why this is the case. Mm. But there are some species of snakes that have quite bright blue color one one that can be found in singapore actually is the malayan blue coral snake oh that sounds pretty yeah it is a gorgeous gorgeous snake it's got a bright red head a blue and black body a bright red tail oh, wow. if you flip it over a bl- bright red belly all around what yeah 
spectacular looking snake. Can show you later. Google yes, it. please. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's the generic name is Caliophis, which literally means beautiful snake. <laughs> yeah, it is genuinely a beautiful snake, and it's also a highly venomous snake. It so is what- probably one of the most venomous snakes in Singapore, right? It's got the longest venom gland to body ratio. Um, and uh, cool thing about this snake is it eats other snakes. A snake that eats other snakes. So yes. t- today we learned that there's a snake that eats crabs. Mm-hmm. There's a snake that can sort of fly. And now that there's a snake that eats other snakes. Yeah. Well, the king cobra also eats other snakes. Is that the... Is that the one with the the patterns on the thing and it flares up by the side? Uh, it doesn't have patterns. Is it the king cobra? It's, the king cobra in Singapore is just like a golden colored snake. It's very plain golden. It's massive. It's the longest venomous snake in the world. And uh, it has a hood. Okay. Right. So the scientific name of king cobra is Ophiophagus henna. Why, why is that? So Ophiophagus is, um, it means snake eater. Ooh. Ophio means snake. Fagus is to eat. So mm. snake eater. Hannah is a type of tree sprite. Interesting. Yeah. So it's named after a, a tree spirit. So there's a weird mythological thing uh, infused into the name. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. That was surprising. Okay. Are there... Is there a particular type of snake that you will consider to be... I guess legendary in that sense. Oh, the King Cobra. The King Cobra? King Cobra is like one of the holy grails of um, herping. And uh, by herping meaning when you go out, you can find it. Yeah, yeah. In Singapore. In Singapore, yeah. I can tell you about like my, one of my more uh, memorable, and I, I, that was actually one of the things that inspired us to start the HSS. Okay. Um, I got a call when I was sitting at home yeah. from my friend and he said, Dude, it's a king. And <laughs> like I was out the door in like five minutes. Yeah. Like it was, I, I've, I've never moved that fast. And my mom was actually nice enough to drive me all the way down to um, the forest edge. Okay. Right. And so it's I got the there and it, it's like, it's like this long like road. Yeah. Okay? And there's forest on either side and there's a drain. Right. So my friend says, okay, so there's this, the king cobra is there, but it's inside the drain underneath the culvert, like underneath the cover, the drain cover. So if you want to see it, you have to get into the drain with the snake and lie down face to face with the snake. Yo, okay, yeah. okay. I'm glad you're still here, but peace yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then if it rushes at you, you just give us a shout and we'll pull you out. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. So All I right. was like, okay. So I got inside yeah. and then I just saw like I, 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 I kind of like prone down inside the drain and then I was just like face to face with the longest venomous snake in the entire world. What what did you see? It's, so you saw the face or? It's coiled up and then like its face is just like jutting out over it. Um, it's just like staring at So at you made you. eye contact? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it, was, it was wild. Um, but it wasn't doing anything, you know? Because we were, we were keeping a safe distance. Like we, were, we weren't like running. But I was probably observing you like seeing what probably, you do. Probably, they are yeah. very smart snakes. It was probably just observing us. Mm. But, I mean, that was the thing. It wasn't like I was, like, I could have crawled in to, like, grab the snake. But Would that be uh, a terrible decision? Yes. Like, it it wouldn't have been the smartest thing to do because, like, the snake is in the forest. It's yep. not doing anything. Yep. There's no need to disturb it. Mm. It's cool to see in that moment, but if you maintain that safe distance and you, you're fine. Going back to the word respect. Yeah, you respect it. 
Yeah, I, I still remember the date that I saw it, January 15, 2015. So that was the day. That was the day I was like, oh, my mind was <laughs> and, and what happened to it? You guys just left it? We just left it. Interesting. Yeah. And yeah, that was just a really, really cool experience for me um, seeing that. And that's the kind of like attitude you want to promote, right? Like where it's normal to be able to see a snake and to just leave it alone. Mm. Like that would be the ideal Singapore. That would be the ideal Singapore. For me, yeah. Where you can just see, not not even just a snake, like yeah. a monitor lizard or hell, some some like, you know, crazy bug. Mm-hmm. You know, like you don't immediately think of it as danger. an interloper or a interloper. Danger. Yeah. I didn't want to end on this story because you spoke about monitor lizard. So I stay in Tampines and uh, I used to run at, I think, the Eco Green. Yeah. Uh, there are two monitor lizards there, from what I can tell. Mm-hmm. Two, uh, one slightly bigger than the other. Mm-hmm. So whenever I run and I counter them, I just call them Larry and Mole. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and, and they run in such a funny way. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> they, they, they really do. They they, really do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they... Sometimes, sometimes you see them from far, and when when you when you when you run towards them, they will oftentimes scamper off. But sometimes they would just kind of just surprise you from the side. Oh yeah, they do that. Yeah, but it's interesting because that I guess that would be my experience with with like a reptile up front, and yeah, I just think it's quite clumsy. <laughs> They're very, very weird lizards. I love them so much. They're so cute. <laughs> and they're, they're, are there any harm to, to individuals? Only if you disturb them. Mm. Yeah. So if you if you get too close to them, if you cut you out of them, um, they actually can use their tail to whip. Yeah. And I would imagine it's quite forceful. Can, yeah. yeah. Especially for the big ones. Mm. Yeah. But if you leave them alone, they are... They're harmless. Yeah. They are completely harmless. <laughs> like a wild fucking Pokemon. <laughs> Yeah. So okay, to wrap up, um, yeah. where can people find you? Where can people find yes. your social media, your memes? Where can people find the uh, Herpetological Society of Singapore? Sure. Yeah. So uh, you can find us on Facebook at Herpetological Society of Singapore. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's H-E-R-P-E-T-O-L-O-G-I-C-A-L. Wonderful. Society of Singapore. Or you can just search at HerpSocSG. H-E-R-P-S-O-C-S-G. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also find us on Instagram at the same handle herpsocksg Twitter as well and you can email us at herpsocksg at gmail.com also we have a website herpsocksg.com so herpsoc for almost everything herpsocksg for everything do you want to plug your herpetology meme page herpetology meme page I don't have you a, don't have it I don't oh have you, you have to get started <laughs> Herpeto- no but yeah wild green memes for ecological fiends it's a <laughs> great group you should join I'm not an admin but it's really cool <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you for the fantastic conversation. Thank you. Uh, thank you for your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode and feel inspired. If you enjoyed what you heard thus far, do give us a follow on Instagram. And don't forget to share and subscribe. Stay tuned for the next episode.